Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe podcast. Talking Joe's there. Talking Joe thought we would last. Talking Joe is there. Find each other like a married couple. A podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe is the codename for a completely untrained special podcast force. Its purpose, to produce a regular comic review show while breaking and replacing a series of presenters from across the world. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. We are on our soapbox. Nobody seems to care. Fighting for fandom wherever there's trouble. The podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 it's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. If you're new to the show, you can find all of the details over at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we are continuing our look at the G.I. Joe disavowed era, and specifically Devil's Due issues 22 to 25, the four-parter called The Last Stand. It's the grand finale of the Josh Blaylock era, and it builds on issue 16 that we've previously read, and uh, trails the return of Serpentor. Now, without any further ado, I'm not doing it on my own. There's two other guys, and I'll introduce them. The first up, it's a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners. And rounding out the crew, it's G.I.J. It's Jay Cordray. Hello, everybody. Hi, Joe fans. So, what's up, guys? Uh, what's new? What's exciting? Some some people have been sleeping this week <laughs> and missing things <laughs> instead of being glued to their computer monitor waiting uh, for the announcements of toy drops. Oh man, I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin. That's like waking up your day being you know just immediately <laughs> it's like you could have had this, but no, you had to sleep. <laughs> what what Mark's talking about ladies and gentlemen is the uh, the pre-order for Breaker. Uh, I woke up, yeah, it was yesterday maybe, and saw an email that said uh, it was from Hasbro and said that Breaker would go on pre-sale at like one o'clock, and this was five when I woke up and saw that. So of course, by the time I checked it, it was all sold out. It's oh, GIJ well. starting yeah. his day the wrong way. <laughs> well, you know, uh, when when these ones were all announced, anyway, I. I if it says Target exclusive, to me that means eBay exclusive because I live a long way away from my nearest Target. I never get over there, and I'm not going to make a special trip just to possibly find an action figure. So, yeah, if it's a Target exclusive and I want it, it's uh, it's just a given that it's going to be something I get through eBay. And that's what Breaker's going to be. Well, you know, I'm kind of fine with that, but it would have been nice to, to order it, just pre-order and not have to worry about it. I did manage to get all the other stuff that I wanted pre-ordered. Uh, so I'm pleased with that. Yeah, and the re-release of uh, of making more stock available of the likes of Major Blood now. That so, so seems to be like the marketplace has been flooded. 
I was one on, sim can have him. I think I was on Hasbro Pulse's website yesterday or the day before, maybe. And, uh, you know, at the top of every figure, it'll say, like, uh, pre-order or sold out or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it said that, of course, with all the newest ones. But then there was Major Blood right there, and it didn't show that he was sold out. I mean, it looked like if you wanted to just click on Major Blood, you could order it, and there he was. Um, hopefully it'll get to the point where they're all like that. Most of them are on there, but not all of them are available. Patience is a virtue. <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, my ethos is either try and get it up front and, and without too much stress or, or, or wait, and it will come around again. Um, yeah, I've, I've not dipped my toe into this latest lot, but I, I was I was in the end, I was swayed by the, uh, the Snake Eyes and Wolf. Because it was like it? 50, 50 bucks, and I was like, oh, that's too much. And then there was one store that had it for a little less, and I was like, well, if it's a bit less, then uh, that's a bargain. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, went went for it. But it's still, yeah, it's still, it's still it seems like an awful lot extra just for a, a pet accessory, essentially. Yeah, mm. makes me wonder, how, you know, if, if, they, if they will do that. I assume they would do that with, you know, like, say, if we get a Crocmaster or something. I don't think that it would warrant necessarily with, like, uh, spirit if he came with freedom <laughs> yeah but i doubt shipwreck. that that's gonna happen anyway pay, pay an probably. extra 30 dollars for a yeah play, for yeah. a little tiny parrot that's probably the size of a quarter there we go but tim how, how are you how's your week been last i spoke to you you were hiding in a cupboard in california with a parrot or at least that's the way i remember it i ended up not using that uh that closet uh, to record so if everyone uh thinks that i sound better Today it's because I'm back at my normal setup with my normal mic and not just in the living room of my in-laws with some pillows stacked around my laptop. <laughs> I did know you weren't in the closet. I just prefer to remember it that way. <laughs> uh, it, it almost it almost worked, but uh, based on sort of where people were sleeping, I, I didn't quite have access to that room without waking someone up. Uh, I have spent some time this week uh, in my backyard with my cat, who uh, likes to be outside when the weather is nice on a leash. Uh, also, I'm trying to finish this second half of my David Anthony Kraft uh, blog post. I know I, I know when I posted part one, the final sentence was that part two would show up three days later, and that certainly hasn't happened. I'm trying to figure out uh, if I want to break this second half into parts two and three, uh, how much of the interview I want to include. There's, there's sort of less like choice G.I. Joe-specific details and more... Uh, sort of personality and uh, like broad strokes of sort of where comics and animation were in 1982 and 1996. And that is all fascinating to me. I feel like a lot of people who come to my blog really just want like drawings of toys that didn't get made. And uh, I'm always happy, happier t- <laughs> talking about the comics or the animation as much as I like the toys. Uh, so my week was somewhat about... Uh, my blog and uh, the summer for me has now finally started because the school year's over and I've taken that trip to see family. So, so the rest of June and July and half of August are hopefully, hopefully, uh, GI Joe work. Yay! Did, did you know David Tim? No, we uh, we didn't meet, but we did this. Uh, it was like a two-hour interview in 2019, and mm-hmm. um, he was. Uh, effusive and a real talker. It, it was not much of a back and forth. I would just ask a question and like in the transcript. And sit like back. Him, no, yeah. For him, it's just like two pages straight. Oh, that's um, awesome. 
and uh, it was uh, it was sad to read uh, that he died. Yeah. So, uh, sort of once again, my my blog ends up you know being like a eulogy for I've done like yeah. six of these now, where Ooh. you know a GI Joe alum passes away, and and I like want to write about it. I get to write about it. I feel like half I have to write about it. It's good that you do. Thanks. Um, but uh, to to our listeners, uh, part two of two or part two of three. Uh, will go up soon. I, I try not to post on weekends, and uh, you know, with today uh, suddenly a holiday in America, I thought I didn't want to post uh, yesterday because it's now a three-day weekend. Aiming aiming for Monday. So by the time this come out, it should be there. Yes, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna have so many blog posts that people exactly. people listening to this episode are gonna think, "Why are you upset, Tim? Why are you why are you anxious?" There've been so many updates on your website. Since you recorded this, it's the, the David Anthony Kraft thing is old news. I want to talk about the Last Stand. You guys ready to dive in? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. We're gonna talk about coming from Devil's Jew. It's something you wanted if Talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh. Okay, so creative team, we have got story, Josh Blaylock with Brandon Jerwa. Pencils, Brandon Bado with Tim Seeley and Mike Norton. Inks, Andrew Pepoy. Colours, Brett R. Smith of Colour Fusion. Hmm. Let's uh, step away from hi-fi. Letters, Dreamer Designs. Graphic Design, Mike Norton. Military Consultation, Andrew Swenson and Tillman Goines. We're on to some more military consultants. There's uh, a turnover on these guys. It's incredible. There's a lot of covers. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So we've got four issues here, and each one has at least two. So, so let's maybe not go too crazy on on the detail, but we'll uh, have a, a run through. So, starting with issue twenty-two, we have got uh, a Michael Turner cover in color and black and white, a cover C retailer exclusive, which has got Greg Horn art. And we have also got a cover D, which is a second printing, which has got the Brandon Bado pinup of Serpentor taken from uh, the interiors. Any thoughts on the on on this first cover, guys? Um, front covers, as far as these ones go. Do we want to just look at twenty two first? Because I can do that really quickly. Uh, I don't like <laughs> number twenty two, the Michael Turner one. Don't like that one at all. And uh, the horn one actually is not too bad if you don't i mean if you're a fan of horns artwork it, you know posing and and uh, camera work and everything is real good in that um the the sunlight is a bit much but that fits with the rest of the book because all the coloring in the book is a bit much um, i hear greg horn followers are called horn dogs <laughs> that that makes sense and uh yeah look at his mystique covers and emma frost covers i can see that or no maybe that was mike mayhew i don't know um, anyway, yeah, the, the the covers for number twenty-two, I'm not a huge fan of. I'll just I'll just talk about the the sort of basic covers 
I have, oh, I guess I do have a mixture of covers A and covers B. Um, so Mike, Michael Turner has long been super popular in a way that reminds me of, of Jim Lee. You know, he draws babes and exciting things, and he's always paired with really talented color artists. And I feel like there's a, there's a bunch of Michael Turner covers out there colored by Peter Stigwald, uh, who's also a principal at uh, Aspen, right? The, the publishing venture uh, that, you know, publishes uh, Fathom. I feel like in a lot of, I feel like a lot of Michael Turner covers, he's doing half the work and uh, Peter Stigerwald is getting sort of no credit for doing half the work. This this G.I. Joe cover isn't one of those cases. I think the colors are nice and it's not like Turner's sort of doing uh, like a half effort I made a comment in a previous episode where I said that there was a boring G.I. Joe cover that really needed some um, bursts, needed some copy. You know, like, uh, what is the secret of this mystery kid? And why do Cover Girl and Spirit want him dead? Or why do Cover Girl and Spirit need to find this kid? And uh, here I see Serpentor and one, two, three, four, five uh, kids sort of staring oddly. And I think that's the point, but it also sort of looks like Michael Turner like didn't know what to draw. I do think someone said like, no, no, these kids are like creepy. Then there's like, then Spirit is standing behind one of them. Like, oh, that's not Spirit, that's Hannibal. It's like, okay. And then there's just some random old guy in the front. And I don't know if that's Hawk or a juggler or... Actually, I'm. who is that? I think that's meant to be Serpentor. Okay, so... Cover, cover copy should be... Who is this boring guy in the suit? <laughs> and yeah. what's the deal with the creepy kids? So, you know, we've established in other episodes with the current G.I. Joe comics that the covers are drawn well in advance of the issue being drawn and written. So the covers aren't always an accurate depiction of what goes on inside. But, uh, like, Serpenter's never in a three-piece suit or a two-piece suit. Um, Serpenter has black hair in this arc. And if you're going to sort of put dramatic lighting on this on this guy in the in the jacket and tie on the front and like put his face in shadow and he's Serpentor, then what's the point of just having Serpentor um, behind him, right? So like, it's like if I bought a, a Punisher comic and the cover were like six random like city pedestrian bystanders just like standing together and another one behind them who's like a, a little taller and then like, who's a Punisher villain, right? Like Jigsaw, right? Like Jigsaw's face in the background, like looking menacingly over it and the colors knocked back a little bit, right? The black lines of Serpentor here um, are not black. They're like a, a dark brown and then they uh, gradient on the bottom down to a like a light brown. So he sort of fades back. And then like Jigsaw's also in the foreground of the cover, just wearing a jacket and tie. I'd think, one, where's the Punisher? Two, this is boring. Why isn't something happening? And three, if it's a boring cover, why isn't the mystique or the allure or the mystery being heightened? So one, for a Michael Turner cover, this is a waste. Like it doesn't have to be Scarlet or the Baroness in like a babe pinup, and I'm glad it isn't. But like, this was not money well spent, assuming that Michael Turner costs more than Brandon Badeau. It just, it's just strange. It's a complete misfire. And the, I can see underneath the Michael Turner signature, it does look like a, it says Peter S. Yeah, that's, so, that's him. So I think that, that is, is the colorist that you're referring to. 
the the next cover is uh 23 so the cover a for that is brandon uh, bado again with inks by pepoy and colors by hi-fi it's serpentor at a plinth and uh kneeling on the ground is cobra commander and duke seemingly captured flanked by creepy kids in mini serpentor uh costumes <laughs> uh and uh doctor to mindbender i've got in in my collection i've got the uh wraparound cover which is by tim seeley and that's uh, features the saw viper on the front flanked by coil troopers with their sort of weird breathing mask thing and on the back cover uh duke and heavy duty and a fire guy and mindbender and serpentor in the back Ground. Um, I think they did three wraparound covers for for these four four issues. This uh, Brandon Beddoe's cover A to me is his swan song. It's the last thing he draws for this series, short run. That's excellent, right? This cover is really well drawn, right? the The camera's low. We're looking up at these characters. That's hard to pull off. Duke's a little too big. He's a little too like hefty, muscular. And um, a couple pages into the final chapter of this arc, on the inside, uh, on page three, uh, we see Duke in what I consider proper Duke proportions, where he's knocked out in red. Okay, we've got creepy kids, but each of them is is doing something, right? They're all looking somewhere. Uh, this this cover is a bunch of people standing around with something behind them. And as compared to the previous cover with a bunch of people standing around and something behind them, this cover has drama. It has a little bit of action in Serpentor's pose. Uh, everyone has different facial types and Serpentor is giving a speech, right? So this is exciting for a, a pretty quiet cover. I don't quite understand the two uh, like Matrix guys with the sunglasses like are they are they in the story mm-hmm. did i miss them are they part of the cloning are they who are those guys <laughs> yeah they weren't there they they must be special coil bodyguards i think is the implication i'll note that we know that it's duke on this front cover he's missing his <laughs> from his, his <sighs> thing. we know it's him because he's got a name tag that says duke not the only time but, so that happens are... in this arc <laughs> to be continued are... Are we sure that's Cobra Commander then? How do we know? Uh, it doesn't I mean, have a name to it. How uh, do we know? Yeah. <laughs> I just, sorry, I just want to say one other quick thing. Um, I love on the bottom, bottom center of this cover, all of the, <laughs> co- all of the chords going up and then in behind the, um, the Cobra flag for the uh like the audio uh, setup of this, this plinth, the microphones. Like what a great little detail. All right, Jay, back to you. This cover is really great. You're right. It's uh, it's great to see Bado go out on on such a strong note. It would have been so much better, really, just compositionally, even if they had left the two Matrix guys off, because then your characters would form a triangle leading up to that that Cobra banner. I think it would work really well. I like this. I like how you said that the the boys. Yeah. F- first of all, the little mini Serpentor suits are uh, are cute. I don't care what anybody says. And, uh, and the, the fact that they're all kind of fidgeting around, one of them's looking at the other, at another one, uh, one's peeking out from underneath. Yeah, they're all just kind of, you know, they're not necessarily paying attention. They're looking both hither and thither, as, as <laughs> <say>. <laughs> My only thing that I, that I wouldn't have done 
I know I definitely would have done it, is there's a lot of circles on Serpentor's outfit. I don't know why. And uh, as an inker, I hate inking circles. I, I, there's nothing else that drives me uh, crazier than trying to ink a circle. And there's a lot of them on that outfit. Uh, but other than that, everything looks great. And uh, yeah, Tim's right. Uh, the the power cords and stuff, the, the audio cables, although they're huge, that looks like what you would power a, a power plant with or something. All those great mm, big yeah yeah those are some hefty microphones. Cables might be some overkill there. Yeah. And then, but, you um, know, there's a lot there's a lot of detail. That is details just in, fantastic. Not 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 back not 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 back in in the background as as well. He's you know there's a lot of work into that cover. I disagree with putting Saw Viper on the cover to the B cover because that diminishes the surprise when mm-hmm. he shows up in issue 24 and I read 23 a cover not seeing B cover until just now while we're talking and I looked it up on the internet. So him showing up in the next chapter, chapter three was a big surprise and a wonderful surprise that would have been diminished. Had I read, uh, had I read or seen the B cover. Very good. Okay. Up next, we have 24. Cover A is Brandon Bado with inks by uh, Andrew Pepoy and Brett Smith. Um, it features somebody, Duke or Hawk, on a big mounted gun on the, on the top of a Jeep and uh, someone to his left. I can't see it on very well on, on my screen. Is that maybe... Flint or somebody in a beret. Um, I take your joke that we don't know if it's Duke or Hawk. Oh, it's Hawk because his name tag says Hawk. And it is hard to tell who's on the left. Uh, it uh, They're sort of just all in brown. It sort of looks like a, a, a beret. So I guess it's Flint. This cover was ruined by the colors. The colors are completely fighting each other and the colors are fighting the art. I can't tell if this is a good Brandon Badeau cover because the coloring is so busy and overdone. Like the, 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 the texture in the, the sort of Humvee that they're driving, this like dirty green with black in it that's all like diagonal, and then like the, the glass that's got way too much white in it, and then the palm tree and the foliage behind Hawk's head which for like a background element, like for some reason has to have all these dumb gradients and like the smoke behind like, you know, cover A, image, issue 24, like, and and the fact that we can't tell who that is on the left, right? Like, I can't tell if it's a white guy or a black guy. Uh, I just see a lot of brown with mm. like very hot gradients on it. And then that muzzle uh, flare from that gun. And then from the, I guess it's a, like a heavy machine gun on the, the um, Humvee, like these, like these, these high, ugh, ugh. This, this, the colors in this cover are screaming at my eyeballs and there's no place to rest. And so I just want to look away, right? Like it's like Hawk's glove and his wrist thing and his pouches. It's like, no, 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 no. Like things can be quiet, right? Like compare this to the coloring on the previous cover where the background elements uh, behind Serpentor and the two guys from the Matrix were knocked back. Right. They're not full saturation. Mm-hmm. The outlines aren't black. And like, yes, there's some busy gradients on Cobra Commander and Duke in the foreground of 23, but not this busy. So blech. <laughs> in conclusion, blech. Love it. <laughs> OK. My review, this cover is terrible. And that's uh, about all that needs to be said. 
Yeah, it's so it's so strange to see. You'll see like incredible stuff from Bado, and then the next thing you see from him is like just really not good, and this falls into that category. And Tim, you said it with the the color, and I think that well, that's going to be a theme as we get into the the actual issues themselves. Is is uh, I think the color as a whole was a very big detriment to this story arc on this particular cover as well there's there's also snake eyes is actually in the cover uh mm-hmm. driving driving the jeep but the the color of the windscreen is is you know such that it's he's almost entirely hidden particularly when you're when you're looking at it as a smaller image like i was on on the screen as a comparison there is a mike zack punisher cover from the 80s that marvel reused a couple years ago for a variant it's their quote hidden gem kind of variant where they just print some old art as a cover with new colors and it's not a fair comparison because it's mike zack who's by then a veteran compared to Bado and whoever colored this and the zack cover um is not very busy but the colors divide foreground and background into two or three very clear and satisfying um anyway all right so comparing 24a which is um the coloring is too busy and doesn't know what it what it wants, and the coloring to twenty four B right, which is Tim Seeley uh, redrawing a Herb Trimpey G.I. Joe Order of Battle cover, or is it maybe a John Byrne uh, official Handbook of the Marvel Universe uh, cover? The colors there, oh, colored by uh, uh, John Rauch. The colors there are much more quiet and desaturated, and it comes from the sky, right? It's an overcast day. The sky above and behind everyone is light gray. And uh, even though for some reason Scarlet's got some like white hot, like bright sun highlights on her shiny, shiny shampooed hair, the color isn't like fighting. That said, I find the drawing in this cover um, a little boring, uh, which I'll I'll talk about later because I find Tim Seeley's art unexciting and there's there's comics art that's unexciting that i think um is satisfying and gets the job done and tim seeley's art to me is just unexciting yeah it's a it's a it's a full-on cover it's nice to see uh sort of a uh a wraparound lots and lots of joes on on there so i can see that the a lot of people finding that that satisfying what uh what what's funny for for me around about issue 24 cover is uh is hawk seems to have quite uh sticky out ears and uh and the jacket that he seems to be wearing i think it it's, looks like it's borrowed from a cover girl perhaps <laughs> the, the um so well, there's a story there <laughs> uh, check out scarlet's outfit with the fishnet and the choker that's a little different yeah i mean yeah. she she has been having that fishnet and, and choker at various points various points in the uh in the series yeah okay duke and hawk like it's it's a joke and it's i don't find it hilarious and i don't like i find it a little lazy like oh duke or hawk they're the same guy right like duke and hawk are like 20 years apart in age right hawk should be 40 or 50 because he's a general and duke should be i guess 30 because he's uh, a first sergeant and 50 year olds have different hair i don't mean hair color i mean hair and if you want a really good example of this uh, an artist who can, one, draw different hair on Duke and Hawk, and two, draw them as different ages. Look at G.I. Joe 26, uh, Marvel G.I. Joe 26, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
when Hawk is telling the story of like Snake Eyes' origin, Hawk has a little bit of a receding hairline, just a little bit, uh, um, on the top right and left of his forehead, and his you know his his eyes have sagged a little bit because he's forty five or fifty, and compare that to this Hawk here on the cover to twenty four B, where it just looks like a young man with like a full head of blonde hair. And then I know we might be doing A first, but I'm gonna come. I'm gonna jump to 25B, the cover, which I also don't like, which is uh, Tim Seeley, and then and inked by uh, Pepoy and colored by Roch. Hawk on the cover to 25B, uh, like that's not his hairstyle at all in this arc or ever in GI Joe. He's got this like very very thick dense like short almost buzz haircut and for some reason he's holding a revolver i don't understand and but we know it's hawk because written across his chest it's yeah that helps and uh also i like the idea of doing a color a a cover 25b this wraparound in only two colors right like this is all aqua and orange yellow because of the all the like explosions and and flame light sourcing around them and then sort of everything is like bathed in this sort of like bright like water reflected moonlight thing and that's that's interesting but it's way overdone so one everyone is off on colors uh two hawk and duke are different people different ages with different facial structures uh and three cover 25b i'm not a fan of two disembodied heads uh, Dr. Mindbender and one of the kids. Mm. I think if you're going to do a floating head, you need to do a little bit of neck and some like shoulder. And like, unfortunately, in the history of comics, like occasionally artists just put floating heads on covers, whether all by itself, like Mark Bagley on Amazing Spider-Man 363 with the third appearance of Carnage, or uh, Marvel's doing a whole bunch of um, Todd Nock variant covers this year which are just floating heads uh like not even necks just floating heads and some of them work and some of them don't it's like where's the neck anyway uh what do you guys think of 25a and b now that i've talked about 25b yeah i agree i agree with um with b i mean i like i like the the concept of a wraparound but um as a cohesive image you know maybe it's not not the strongest uh, a is um, is a bold image of, uh, and this is again Brandon Bado inks by Pepoy, colors by Brett Smith of um, Serpentor, sort of throwing uh, throwing a flint over his shoulder. I can tell it's flint because it says flint on his chest, um, and Cobra Commander in the foreground uh, shooting uh, up at him in the background. We've got uh, Jinx in the gimp suit jumping at him. Uh, roadblock firing on you know on top of a a, a hiss uh, even uh scarlet's there in the details doing some uh split kicks um it's yeah quite a bold image and and you know similar to similar to maybe was it 23 you know very bold image of, of serpent or but really aggressively colored just lots and lots of color just battling battling it out just as joe, the joes and cobra are here uh it, it's uh yeah Orange, blue, green, purple, yellow, red, all going on. And it's all glowing. Yeah, it's yeah. not just that it's a lot of colors. It's that there is a like extreme highlight and a gradient like every mm. centimeter. 
Exactly. Yeah, I've seen the pencils and, and inks for this cover, and it's really nice. But like you said, the, the colors just kill it. You know, like I said, we'll, we'll get into that here really quickly. Uh, I, I do like, let me jump back real quick to the 24, the wraparound uh, by Tim Seeley. I like that one. The, the characters are all kind of a little bit flat on it. The colors are a little flat. But when you look at it compared to like the, the Bado cover that we just looked at with the colors on that, it's much more appealing to the eye to have the the more uh, calm down, you know, not quite as vibrant color on something. So that that alone makes it probably my favorite cover of all of these. And I think uh, the other ones were just kind of plain. The first wraparound one I didn't care for at all. The the second one with all the cobras and, and hawk and snake eyes at the bottom corner. Just yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm totally in agreement with with Tim about uh, Tim Seeley as an artist. He's He's a decent artist, but he's just not real exciting. I guess that's it. It's just not real exciting. Kind of flat, a lot of it. I have an overall thought for these covers, which is, for such a big story, I'm surprised that there wasn't one artist who did four covers in a row that like, felt like a, you know, like, uh, like Mike Zeck's covers for the second arc um, you know, after issue five. Like, that felt like something. And these to me sort of feel like scattershot. And maybe if all the A covers or the B covers had said The Last Stand, part one of four, mm. uh, I, I feel like there's a missed opportunity here in terms of building momentum and excitement. And, you know, maybe like Devil's Do was sort of editorially just very strongly against sort of any copy on the covers. I mean, certainly like old fashioned, like, what is the secret of the mystery child that uh, cover girl and spirit have to find? But maybe even like part one of two or part part two of two, you know, considering that it's building to 25, considering that 25 is uh, extra pages, considering that it's uh, Blaylock's swan song. I feel like sort of the identity of this arc as an arc um, is is a missed opportunity. Yeah, you'd think they'd want to have that on the cover. It's I hadn't even noticed until you said that just now, but. I mean, I guess it's just kind of a given that you would assume it would say the last stand, you know, part one of four or whatever on there somewhere. Yeah. Or if, you know, also if there's extra pages, you know, extra size issue or whatever. And I spy for these these four issues as as well is that there's no back covers from David Michael Beck, I, I guess, because uh, because most of that because we've got the the wraparound covers, there's not necessarily the space for them. So, oh, I see. Uh, I also wonder if that's a budget consideration. If you have to pay for a front cover and a back cover, and you're now going to pay for like a Michael Turner cover, mm-hmm. it's like maybe you've, you've used up your budget and you, you yeah. can't pay. You've got an A cover and a B cover and extra pages, and so you, you know, more, out, more outgoings, maybe cut it back. I can't remember if we, uh, if we see a return uh, from... Uh, david michael beck after the of this point so yeah let's uh, keep an eye out when we uh, plow on through into uh, into the next issues uh, so if we leave the covers behind us and get on inside to talk about the actual story maybe we can remind ourselves of the story via a block breakdown good luck with that jay <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a challenge Dr. Mindbender wakes from a restless sleep, and Julius, the young boy from issue 16, 
tells him he knows where the rest of the clone boys are. At the Pentagon, Hawk is informed that the remaining clones of Serpentor are to be moved to Dugway Proving Grounds to be executed. Hawk refuses to cooperate and sends a message to the transport team telling them to reroute. Before they can respond, however, they're attacked by Firefly and a large force of Cobras. During the skirmish, Beachhead sends some green shirts ahead to scout for any more threats and they come face to face with the resurrected Serpentor. Damon fires on Serpentor and Serpentor grabs him and breaks his neck. Dr. Mindbender and the other boys arrive and leave with Serpentor and the clone children. On Cobra Island, Cobra Commander is captured by Serpentor. Serpentor explains the boys were test subjects who were created when Dr. Mindbender was developing Serpentor. Although Cobra Commander ordered Mindbender to destroy the boys, Mindbender instead kept them alive in his facilities. Back at the pit, Hawk fills the Joes in on the secret of the children. With Cobra Commander missing, Destro decides he must lead Cobra and begins gathering his lieutenants around him. Serpentor launches a coordinated multi-pronged attack, dropping an EMP over Los Angeles and conquering several major cities around the world. On Cobra Island, Cobra Commander is thrown into a cell with a group of captured Joes. However, when his guards try to remove his helmet, it sets off its security features and electrocutes them, giving the Joes and Cobra Commander their opening to escape. The Joes send a message to the pit and a rescue mission is launched. Elsewhere, Destro rallies Cobra for the rescue of Cobra Commander. It's time, he says, to take Cobra Island back. An intense battle takes place on Cobra Island, which sees several Joes and Cobras killed. Finally, Cobra Commander and Serpentor face off in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Eventually, Serpentor gains the upper hand and Cobra Commander surrenders. Serpentor orders him to remove his helmet and the Commander does so, revealing yet another mask underneath. He hands Serpentor the helmet, which is rigged to explode. Serpentor goes up in flames, and Cobra Commander kicks him off the launch platform onto the rocks below. So my top-down reaction is that this is an ambitious story arc uh, with a lot of action and a lot of characters. I like seeing a lot of Joes, and I had been wondering if this moment would come when Hawk says, activate all the Joes, right? Because this, this series has been running with this idea that, you know, only a few of the Joes can be uh, on the team because of like budget or because of just, you know, it needs to be a small, nimble squad. And it's exciting when Joe and Cobra and Destro and like Serpentor's faction, you know, when you have more than just the normal two factions fighting and you also have sort of the Dreadnought faction and, and this, this arc in some ways, it's a mirror to the initial arc for this series, issues one, two, three, four, where um, there's a big fight, there are lots of factions, too much happens in four issues, uh, and the stakes are really high. What I like more about this arc than that first arc is that the, the stakes are visible, right? It's like, it's these kids, these clone kids, it's Serpentor, and it's like the safety of the free world, you know, Tokyo and Berlin and uh, London have like fallen, right? And so as opposed to like, we're fighting nanites, which I cannot see and are not visually dramatic. But too much happens in four issues, though we see a lot of characters for a panel or two. And a lot of characters do get like, you know, half a page to do one thing. Roadblock gets to do a thing. Leatherneck and Outback get to do a thing, right? Dialtone shows up and he's very, very small for one panel. And I think, is that Dialtone? Well, he's saying something. Cool, Dialtone's back. But um, it doesn't work. I think there are some like narrative misfires, like 
in, in chapter three, there are three scenes of women being emotional and like the men aren't being emotional. So like once again, uh, I, I don't think Josh Blaylock is comfortable writing women or like writing women soldiers or whatever it is. And my, my, main, my main problem with this is that considering the stakes are so high that all of these electromagnetic pulse weapons get launched and like take out uh, cities or like the defense of cities. And so Serpentor's forces, the coil can move in. That all happens in like eight panels on one page and off panel on several other pages. And that's not exciting or sort of believable. And then in the final chapter, um, there's just a bunch of narration, like Hawk just narrates because there's too much story to cram in. And G.I. Joe has never been a series with narration, right? Like what's the one issue that sort of changed that, uh, that rule? Issue 155, right? It's like, oh, a final issue. And so a lot of, a lot of fun elements and action, some like character surprises. I think the bit with um, the Saw Viper coming back is like exciting and compelling. Um, some, some anemic art uh, disappointed that Bado leaves halfway through and um, needed another chapter. Yeah, I think I think I'm pretty much in in fuller full agreement. I did enjoy. It. I did like it. I went. I think I went back and read it maybe four times. Just from a perspective that that there was so much there. Part part of it was that I read. I, I first went back and read it like a week or two weeks ago. You know, needed to come back and re reread it. Let's keep it fresh for 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 today. But but also just yeah, the sheer staggering amount of what they they crammed into four issues, and as you say, too much. And and I think it was there's some degree of like trying to you know throw everything out of the in you know that's in the toy toy box you know into into the middle of this this story. And I think just leaving a few things in reserve would a mean that when you come to to do that bit of the story you know you can properly give it more time to breathe and you know honor the characters etc i think i think it's essentially that you'd, you'd allow that maybe that story to be told with more space but also then the main story itself wouldn't feel quite so so cluttered and yeah i think they could do would do have done without with taking a, a few things out and also maybe adding a couple of issues on to just give it slightly more room to, to breathe. I think as, as you say, with the the narration at the very end, I think that's, they'd got to the, almost the end of the story running out of number of pages they had left. And there was still so much to tie up that, you know, the only way you could do it is by, by lots of exposition. And um, I get the, that it, it, yeah, it's got a nice mirror to the, to that opening four issues and the ambition of those four issues, but there's also another, you know, clear mirror here, which is um, the original G.I. Joe Civil War storyline in terms of all of those factions battling it out on Cobra Island, particularly, you know, the role of Serpentor in the in the Civil War and his his death by by Zartan's arrow sort of really being being referenced back and and some of the, you know, little techniques there around you know, showing how the teams were divided up, that kind of thing. So, and that's such a good storyline and, and what so well loved. Uh, I think it's a, a difficult thing to to live up to as as well. So, 
it, while while the return to to Cobra Island was was welcome, uh, I think it's yeah like like the silent issue twenty one. It's a it's a difficult it's a difficult milestone to to live up to. Jay, your your high level thoughts. Well, you guys are completely right about trying to cram too much in uh, too little space, and it was kind of a surprise to me. Bado or not Bado, uh, Blaylock's overall uh, his story that he did from one through 25 that Serpentor appears in the last four issues. We had the one issue teaser in 16 and then nothing, no more Serpentor, no hint of Serpentor or anything until this last arc. Boom. He appears, he tries to take over the world showdown with Cobra commander, Cobra commander wins. And I just feel like this is something that it's such a huge thing. It definitely needed more than four four issues this is something that should have been and larry is great about this i've looked through a lot of uh a lot of the the ari issues in the last couple weeks um looking at cobra commander's story and there might be you might get two two pages of background in one issue you know and then two or three issues later maybe 10 issues later you get a few more here and there but this stuff is just kind of sprinkled throughout there and i realized that they didn't know uh blaylock probably didn't feel like he had the ability to uh, to plant these seeds real far down the road or, or to do anything with any huge long-term planning. I don't know what the licensing agreement or anything was, but um, yeah, it's just, this is something that shouldn't have happened in four issues at the end of your story. It should have been seeded throughout. And then w- once we get into the story itself, there's a lot going on there and it wasn't bad. And this is kind of, been an issue with with Blaylock for me throughout the whole thing. His uh, his basic plot and a lot of his uh, story direction is all really good. And then it, but then it just kind of comes down to maybe it's uh, you know the artist uh, is not up to the material or, or maybe the scripting is is not the best. But uh, yeah, I mean plot wise, I liked it. I, I did think that there was a lot that was good about it. That final issue though was rough. You know, so much stuff happens. This city gets destroyed. This city gets destroyed. Like you said, it's all off panel. You're like, this would look awesome if I could see it. If I could see that this stuff was happening. You know, in, um, uh, what was it? It was Retaliation, where they dropped the big tungsten rod or something from from the atmosphere and, and destroyed London. And that looked amazing. If we'd had one moment like that in this story, it would have been helpful but i don't think that we did we didn't even have one thing like that the closest thing we had was like some airplanes falling out of the sky which was awesome but it wasn't enough um and my my big issue we kind of touched on this during the covers for me what really ruined it more than anything was the coloring in this arc it's and and tim actually said talking about one of those covers i think you described it tim as saying your eyeballs were bleeding this artwork is hard to look at I mean, you look at like this compared to any issue from the original A-Raw run and you're just, it's like, whoa, you got too much stuff going on there. Too many bright colors, too many gradients. It's just all over the place. Every one of these pages is, I, it's just it, it, hard to look at is the best way to describe it. And that more than anything probably uh, takes this story down a lot. And I guess, you know, most of most of the existing coloring has been you know uncredited beyond hi-fi design whereas whereas these for these four issues we we do have a a named colorist brett r smith of color fusion and presumably uh, a change of color artist as as well from from what we've had 
before and yeah quite aggressive bright lots of spotlights you know if if it had had a bit more of a subtle touch to it, it, it the the look of the the look of it would have been significantly different yeah just toning down some of the you know the color throughout it would have improved it greatly wouldn't have saved it but it would have been would have been a big improvement there's a there's a thought exercise that i i think people who like are unsure about people who just read comics who are unsure about sort of good color bad color or colorists who are uh, considering like testing themselves this doesn't solve every problem but as a as an exercise i wish that we could all like take a bunch of pages and it's like okay the rule is the character in the foreground or the characters in the foreground can be colored aggressively but your backgrounds have to all be flat your like wall behind them has to be one gray or your trees and forest behind them has to be one green and one brown so there's a a couple pages into the first chapter snake eyes is sorry page 11 um, and my note is uh, this is what I mean by overcolored, no place to rest. So the bottom half of the page is um, this really powerful Brandon Beto, like straight on shot. And he does a lot of straight on shots. And I still think he needs to put his camera higher up and point it down more often. I think his storytelling is throughout his issues uh, hampered where he's um, drawing. None of this stuff is easy, but he's drawing the least hardest camera angle. All right, so Snake Eyes is coming at us on this motorcycle, and behind him is a tank, some uh, anti-gravity pods, and a sort of stun. And he's drawing aggressively. Uh, lots of detail and, like, bits in the costumes, right? Lots of speed lines uh, and explosions and smoke. And then there's this really dumb like motorcycle design that we've seen before, which has one, yeah. two, three, four, five, six front headlights. It's like, okay, maybe you could do three or maybe just have like one big headlight that wraps all the way around. It's the spider mirage. Um, and then uh, every single object and surface in this giant panel, which is basically a two thirds page splash, has a highlight and a gradient to like a darker color or a shadow. And like even the smoke in the background, to the extent that like, like the the stun motorcycle thing, um, I sort of lose that next to all that smoke. And then it's, oh right, there's a bridge. There's a bridge back there. So that's that's going to be sort of my example of like color gone wrong uh, on the inside. I want I, I want to change. I want to shift gears to a, a story thing that's not working for me, right? Because I feel like. I've talked about color, and and the, and the two of you have now talked about color. I I was never convinced by green shirts in the Devil's Do Run from the beginning. I appreciated that uh, there are some scenes where they get named and they have interactions with the established Joes. Um, who's who's the Joe who like uh, takes out? What was it? Was it Paige Adams? That's right. That we like we didn't know who it was, and then. Uh, it marks like, no, no, she's from two arcs ago. She gets named here in mm-hmm. the, uh, was it, is it chapter three that has the, was it chapter two that has the, um, chapter, yeah. chapter three has, uh, a page of like how the teams were broken down at the very end, which does recall the original, uh, Marvel Civil War. Okay. So green shirts work in the cartoon because you sort of don't think about them. It's like none of them ever talk. And they don't sort of actively do anything. They're just like in the background. And they shouldn't be to just be like a smaller squad of specific Joes. But like, 
Okay, I forgive the, the cartoon because the cartoon's a little silly. Blaylock and company try to make the green shirts work here. And, uh, you know, they get named and they do things uh, and they show up in battle files. And the idea is that I guess they'll like become fully fledged Joes, you know, with their own code names and costumes. And this, this arc sort of pessimistically proves to me that they were never intended to do that stuff. They, they're just here to die because that, that keeps happening, right? Issue 22, page 15, page 20. Issue 24, page 3. Issue 25, um, page 2, right? Like, Smith! Like, I don't know who Smith is and I don't care. Uh, Harrison! Like, okay. Even down to uh, Firewall, where um, we've had some scenes with him and Damon, and I appreciate that um, the scene is like trying to build up his uh, his valor. It's like, well, he's just a computer guy, but like he grabs a gun and he's like going for Serpentor. But when I was a kid, I thought that killing Joes was something that should happen in the comic. And when it happened, occasionally I thought it was powerful. Uh, Mangler, Cool Breeze. When it happened all at once in issue uh, 108, 109, I was upset and shocked because I, I don't sort of understand that scene and it just hurts, which I think is the point. But a bunch of Joes that I don't know and don't care about die here practically off panel and they die mm-hmm. in like upsetting ways. It's like, oh, there are two green shirts in a locust, which is hit by an electromagnetic pulse. It falls, just free falls and explodes in like downtown LA or Chicago or something like I find that a little pessimistic. I guess two do, two Joes do die. Is it mainframe and Flash, Flash, and Chuckles, and Chuck? Okay, so so all right, so Chuckles Chuckles gets killed uh, with a, a a knife or a dagger, and the so other two Joes sacrifice his chest or something. Oh, thank you. Uh, the other two Joes like they don't make it out, and the bomb goes off, and they take out the Cobra weapon. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of two things. I don't think you should kill Joes. In in the recent IDW run. When Joes have been injured, I'm worried because I feel like the writer of that series has now written like, you know, 300, uh, 400 G.I. Joe comics. And I don't think it's ever quite going to retire, but it's like, you know, might be closer to the end of his G.I. Joe writing than the beginning of his G.I. Joe writing. And maybe he's going to take a few characters out sort of as a punctuation on his long association with the brand. Right. Um these these deaths feel cheap to underconsidered, and and the fact that Chuckles dies sort of in the same way as Xandar, like sort of in silhouette and like, ugh, I, nah, I, yeah. I don't think you should I don't think you should kill characters even if they're too many. And when I was young, I thought that was cool, and now that I'm older, I think that it's sort of a trap. Mm-hmm. And like. And- I think sometimes it can can work and sometimes it can be well done. So so certainly in, in, you know, Hammer's run, he has killed some characters and it has been done incredibly well and it has been very much fundamental to the, to the story. I mean, thinking of maybe Sneak Peek's first death or, or Cool Breeze or even in the IDW-verse, they've, they've killed people off in the Cobra series and it's, you know, been done very well, but it's it's been done through building up a character so that you actually invested in them and also taking the time to have that scene where they die have heft so so for example here where chuckles is being killed he literally appears on one panel only to be killed 
on the next panel it it doesn't have enough time for it to for that for that scene to or even that character to have any heft be you know because he's not been in the in in this in this story and and it there's even a question mark as to has he is he dead was 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 that him being killed um similarly you know flash hadn't appeared in this series really at all until being introduced just for a few panels only only to 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 be exploded uh yeah and, and the the to put a pin on my 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 final thoughts on on the deaths was those those poor green shirts that that died there's a scene where uh lady j is reeling off their names uh agents lau ward smith and rosen were all killed in combat enemy casualty what oh god now we have five confirmed dead they just found damon and it looks like lady j is only now getting upset because actually it's a names joe damon that uh is that they find out has, has died rather than an anonymous and disposable red shirt i mean green shirt yeah not 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 the greatest and can we say disposable when we're talking about death in this comic wow yeah my favorite moment probably of issue 22 was when sir pentor killed damon because i just I didn't really like those characters and uh you know sir pentor's like and i was like yeah now we got one down one to go but then the other one steps up <laughs> and she actually has one of my favorite lines of dialogue in one of the next issue 24 when she's got cobra commander uh, and she has the gun pointed at him and she says, give me a reason, please. But I have lots of favorite lines of dialogue. So I'm throwing that one out there now. But yeah, so Damon gets killed. No loss there. But he did at least have an opportunity for, for his character to, to be built up over the course. Yeah, of his issues, yeah. He so. wasn't just like a lot of the green shirts. Exactly. I was more like um, I was more taken aback with the, the scene with Flash and Mainframe. Because at first I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, cool, there's Flash. I was like, well, I don't think we've seen Flash. You know, and then like two or three pages later, they're like, oh, well, we're going to stay here or something. I don't know. The dialogue was kind of clunky. And then they die. And I was like, oh, my gosh, did, did those guys just die? And then for a minute, I was really happy. But then I had to go back and look. And I was like, no, Jinx made it out alive. I thought that Jinx had been taken out with them. But that was my thought on the deaths in here. Um for those ones anyway, Chuckles, I didn't like him dying the way that he did. I thought it was just kind of, and it would have been, and, and again, it goes to the, I don't know, the weight of the character, how important the character is. Um, I'm, maybe we haven't seen Chuckles a whole lot in here, but I think for one small panel, and that's where he dies, that was kind of like, he deserved more than that. Um, especially when you look at like what they did with Xandar, they really went out with Xandar and it's you think what has Xandar done yeah that, that was more of a yeah a movie death <laughs> 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 to be fair Chuckles Chuckles does Chuckles does show up for two panels earlier in the story mm -hmm. when he's getting he gets the info yeah intel and also he doesn't say anything but because the scene's being narrated but um, also, doesn't he have an issue or two of Frontline? Yeah, this is the thing. Oh, okay. he, I think it's a, it's a four-issue arc, which is uh, written by um, Brandon Jerwa, you know, the, the arc that make, made, makes his name and gets him the gig on the in the book. And, and that's kind of what feels a little bit sad about the throwaway nature of the, the death is that he's finally had his chance to, you know, really have a, a good storyline in, in the front Frontline uh, arc, you know, 
really a, a t- some time in the spotlight and you know there's just seems so much then possibility with the character that that actually it's it's you know an opportunity that the devil's due era has taken to to really kind of round out uh, a character who who hasn't necessarily had a huge amount of of time before because you know he wasn't didn't really get a huge amount of of time in the Mar- in initial marvel run and yeah just to discard it over a couple of panels in in the main book yes yeah, just it seems seems like a waste of opportunity yeah and artistically i mean there are unimpressive panels um i'm going to i'm going to talk about unimpressive panels in a minute i <laughs> say two quick more more things about uh death so there's a disconnect there because if you're only reading the main series right lots of people you know read Batman and they don't read detective comics, right? Lots of people read Superman and they don't read the other two or three or four Superman titles. So if you're reading the main G.I. Joe at this time and you're not reading Frontline, you sort of shrug when Chuckles uh, dies. If you're reading both books, you might feel like, oh, he should have said something or done one more thing before this death in this arc to sort of like nod to the fact that he had just done something big in the other series. Um, okay, so uh, one, if earlier I got Damon and Firewall mixed up, um, that's because they don't mean anything to me and I have never fully cemented their names in my head. Their names are dumb and dumber. <laughs> I, I think I think that, uh, all right, so Damon dies and Firewall lives, right? Yeah. Okay, so I, I think the stuff with Damon trying to go for Serpenter and save the kids and Firewall trying to have revenge and holding back. I think those are, in broad strokes, great. What the other G.I. Joe series at Marvel and now at IDW do is when a Joe is injured or killed, the Joes take note of it. And that doesn't happen here. And maybe it happens in issue 26. Maybe 26 is a great epilogue to the story. I'm guessing it's not going to be an epilogue to the story. And I feel like even in a crowded story where characters are dying, there should be like a different and more acknowledgement of the sacrifice being made. And uh, I guess the counter is like that dialogue that that you just uh, uh, quoted where uh, Lady J is going through some uh, KIA and she gets upset. And on the one hand, I like that she's noticing it and they're taking note of it. On the other hand, to me, that's sort of like one more example of like, it's not men who are upset by people dying or people leaving or betrayal to women in this G.I. Joe series. Okay, so in terms of panels that are underwhelming, and I'm going to point out three or four, and this is not to pick on Tim Seeley for the sake of picking on Tim Seeley. It's because these panels to me represent that his skills at drawing comics are still developing and that he's not quite ready for a series of this magnitude. So um, in issue 24, page one, we're in Los Angeles and there's some planes flying over and we see the planes and then we're very, very close with the planes. In the big bottom panel, they're clearly rattlers. In the third panel, the panel before this, they're very clearly not rattlers. Seely like doesn't keep track of the cobra planes that he's drawing because the horizontal stabilizers in the backs are like don't match and you can say like Tim you've talked about like continuity and keeping track of all these vehicles and costumes in GI Joe is hard this is a hard draw book to draw absolutely but I had a hard time following this page because like 
Fighter jets, are you sure? Says someone, I don't know who it is. Like, is this like a random Los Angeles International Airport air traffic controller? Is this a military person? Is this a Joe? And then in this final larger panel on the bottom of the page, it's like, okay, those are Rattlers. Then I start to think, wait, are those, are those different planes in the third panel? Okay, so that's that's a continuity problem. All right, so page seven. I'm, I'm, um, for, I'm slightly forgiving of that, I think. Rattlers are difficult to draw from the bottom up. If, if maybe, to maybe if you don't have them in your hand. Like in, <laughs> no, no. I, you, think, you got, I no, think he is trying to draw a rattler no, and maybe because, not, not succeeding. No, you because you go to yojo.com and you look at the blueprint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, well, yeah. Or 3D I, I Joes and look at 30 different angles of photographs. <laughs> well, it, 3D Joes wouldn't have existed then. No, oh, yeah. Okay, so, I, th- uh, I think he's trying. I think he's trying. All right, so page 19, panel 7. So I'm excited anytime I see a page with nine equal size panels on it because that conjures up uh, Watchmen and, like, the, you know, the sort of dense comics before the decompressed storytelling era of, like, 2000. All right, so here's a page with nine panels, and we're flashing back and forth between the Joe team getting out of Cobra Island, uh, getting away, and Cobra Commander sort of making his way deeper into Cobra uh, Island. The story just took an entire splash page to show that we should be concerned that Snake Eyes is injured because a grenade went off near him and Lifeline is like, I'm worried about Snake Eyes. So in terms of Tim Seeley not being ready for this assignment, this seventh panel on page 19 of issue 24, there's some Serpentor uh, dialogue happening on the top of the panel, right? Where he's sort of narrating it from somewhere else, right? Of no concern, Overlord. Their allies have heard their distress call and will surely come for them in force. So Snake Eyes is in the bottom of the panel. I can't tell if he's standing or sitting. He's just straight up and down. And uh, CoverGirl is like sitting straight up and down on a log. And Lifeline is tending to her wounds. And then there are five Joes straight up and down behind them in silhouette. And I can sort of figure out who they are from the context because I know the Joes who have been in this scene. So isn't, shouldn't Snake Eyes be like limping or like his arm over someone's shoulder? If he is like leaning against a tree, like this is not the composition to um, sell that idea. I, I didn't really think about this panel much until you had mentioned it, to, to be, be honest, and, and the continuity of the last time we saw Snake Eyes versus then the, this time when we see him next. They're not, one, they're not kind of following that th- that that through line, but um, I'm I'm interpreting this that he's slumped against the, that that tree. But um, I don't it's, I don't it's think not out to us. I don't think the perspective is accurate to sell that idea. Like mm-hmm. I think he's like too tall or too short to to for the like physicality of that. But I understand yeah. what you're saying. All right. So, and part of why I bring this up, and again, this is me. I'm not trying to nitpick at Seely. It's that the the sort of overall idea here is that. When there is a larger exciting image where a page is broken into like four panels and like the saw vipers bursting in, Seeley draws it with a plum. When there is a smaller moment, either it's like quiet or uh, like a page has a lot going on and there are some exciting panels and then some not exciting panels, Seeley loses uh, like oomph and like doesn't give as much time to the less important panels. So like those Joes in an earlier page, like the captive Joes making the way out, there's a panel where they're going up the stairs and it's just anemic. Okay, so the, my last two examples on this bit. In the final chapter, page 22, 
Um, Cobra Commander is uh, kicking Serpentor uh, over the waterfall. Mm-hmm. And Seely decides to draw this from a straight-on angle, which is the weakest possible angle you could choose to draw this. There are some actions which really just want to be shown in profile, like straight left, right? And this does not pass the silhouette test, right? When you're drawing like characters, when you're drawing poses, you should generally be able to tell what you're looking at if you were to black out a character and just be looking at their silhouette. Like think of if you're drawing like Batman, if Batman's like crouched on a gargoyle, it's just gonna look like a ball with horns. If Batman is like swooping down or like punching and you can separate his arms and his head and his cape, you know it's Batman, right? Think about Wolverine. If he's like if if you if you bring his his hands and his arms in, you don't see his claws, right? I'm talking about a silhouette. So if you black out this panel of Cobra Commander kicking and he's saying, Mine, I don't know what he's doing. And then it happens again three pages later. On the bottom, final panel of page 25, where Mercer and Duke are coming in and Duke is kicking a door down, I guess. And Duke is just drawn like he's standing straight up and down. Mm-hmm. And there's like a floating boot that's aiming toward us that's between the door and Duke. Because I think Duke is kicking the door down, but he's not drawn like he's leaning back, like he's thrusting his leg forward. And again, we have this like kicking pose. So... I find a lot of Tim Seeley's compositions where he leaves empty space, like the panel above that where the Meta Viper is tending to um, Metalhead, the top third of that panel is left empty as if there's going to be word balloons or a sound effect, and there's not. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. don't leave that space empty. Like, let's get a little closer. Yeah, could, could be. The scene of, of Cobra Commander kicking Serpentor off the, the water, top of the waterfall as well put your and your description of that put me in mind of of what it could have been which is is more akin to frank miller's 300 where you know you've got that this is sparta scene which then instantly became iconic when they translated it uh, onto onto film cobra commander kicking uh kicking serpentor and, and shouting this is cobra island or some some such um and and that mediviper that you um called out tending to metalhead uh, i believe is the character scalpel so um scalpel was a brand new uh, cobra character cobra cobra medic uh, released in 2003 so um again um it's it's them trying to incorporate the latest figures into uh, into the story and yeah um, an interesting character to have as part of the roll call of the cobras in terms of there being a, a named medic i can see uh can see the the use of having that i talked for a long time jay so you should jump back in <laughs> oh i'm afraid to i don't want to be too negative i mean this this arc was so disappointing after the last one that's the only thing i can say about it is you know you just it's so you know the, the last couple issues 20 and 21 were great we loved those i loved them they looked great everything about them was was really good story had just enough room this one again we go back to that first story arc like you guys mentioned and just tries to cram too much stuff in there and there's just too many little things to go through i mean we'd be here six hours if we wanted to go through and and pick out all the stuff that you know we weren't a fan of the single thing that made 
the story too cluttered for for me and and sort of just took me out of the story was the was that was the story component around Serpentor seemingly coming out from nowhere and then then trying to take over the world over over the series of just a number of small panels and, yeah and like i said he's just yeah. boom four issues oh here's serpentor wow he just practically nuked los angeles he did all this stuff you know and you're like this needed to mm-hmm. breathe a little bit we we needed to have the return of serpentor take a while and really what's what's the end game there i mean he's going to have a relatively small army that he's he's built up and you know maybe he's got a particularly amazing EMP device that that can give him a, a short term ad- advantage, but really, are you going to take over the uh, entire world? <laughs> um, you know, the amount of resource and manpower to accomplish that. You know, what is what is the end goal of you know installing yourself in Buckingham Palace? You know, that that doesn't mean that you're suddenly the King of England and everyone's going to bow down and <laughs> obey you. It just that that story component just didn't seem to make a huge amount of logic as to why include that now and and how on earth could that possibly be uh achieved there's a there's a funny scene there where the hawk is on a video conference to to some other military leaders it's not entirely clear that there are talking about the the next step and hawks wanting to invade cobra island and and lead that as a gi joe operation rather than have a uh, unified armed forces uh, attack or, or whatever and one of these uh, wonks on the screen says gentlemen i'm receiving news here emp devices have just been deployed in tokyo and berlin general abernethy your operation is a go and that's coming on uh, uh, you know on the heels of them just talking about the fact that los angeles new york moscow and london were all simultaneously hit so why is Tokyo and Berlin seeming to be the decisive factor here in in terms of <laughs> why the Joe team are get, getting the go ahead? You know, all that previous destruction wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Los Angeles, that's a pretty New big York, deal. Moscow, London, it's a pretty big deal. But whoa, hold on, Tokyo and Berlin. <laughs> that's 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 a different story. Not Berlin. Where am I going? Where am I going to get my manga from now? Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. If they could have just almost entirely cut out that bit or just scaled it right back that instead of trying to take over the world serpentor had a, a more modest set of goals such as completely overpowering a, a prison uh, you know which they do allude to as one of the things he is doing and, and then that means that they they can take out all, all of do a jailbreak get all of these prisoners out build up their army maybe then they've got a step b which is some other strategic target maybe you know, maybe they take over a, a, another small island, which, uh, you know, and they place themselves in a position where, where they can't be, you know, easily reached and overpowered, you know, just some more logic about building something, something where they can make a power gain and can conceivably retain that without immediately being wiped out, which it seems to be the, you know, inevitable reaction to, to, to you know attacking major cities so um that we're back on cobra island is exciting and intriguing to me mm-hmm. and i think the scaled back version of this story can still have serpentor come back but like what can you actually do in four chapters right like what if this story instead of being called the last stand which sort of sounds like i'm gonna do 
like everything I can to make this as big as I can and to make the stakes as high as I can, right? Which doesn't work. What if the story were called Return to Cobra Island? And as Mark mm. just laid out, like Serpentor is, he's not trying to take over like nine American cities and also Cobra with this like deus ex machina, like we've been working on this all along. Like I have this other hidden Cobra army that's like ready to work for me. And also here's the overlord. Um, what if it's like, he's just trying to take over Cobra. So he captures Cobra Commander and puts him in jail or Cobra Commander then gets away and he takes over Cobra Island. And then sort of going forward, you can have this sort of split Cobra, which is like regular Cobra, maybe run by Destro, maybe run by Cobra Commander versus the Coil versus G.I. Joe, as opposed to, you know, these cities, which are not um, like narratively clear, narratively clear, but not narratively satisfying. There's, there's a note in uh, the first chapter in, in issue 22 on um, page 8, which confused me. So Duke is, sorry, Hawk is talking to, um, I guess, the jugglers. And one of them says, that's not exactly what we, uh, one of them says, that's not exactly what we had planned, Abernathy. He says, excuse me. And the other one says, I'm sorry, General, you've been outvoted one on this one. The children, they're dangerous. Uh they're to be executed when they arrive, as peacefully as possible. Lethal injection. What? Wait, this story hinges on the U.S. government killing children? Like, uh, uh, what? No, 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 no. That's not G.I. Joe. I don't mean to say, like, that could be, like, X-Files. That could be, like, a conspiracy in, like, a harder-edged Marvel or DC book. And I understand that, like, G.I. Joe has sort of, like, always done this funny range of G and PG and PG-13, depending on the episode or issue or writer. So Hawk then, like, disobeys orders and tells his Joes to turn the convoy around and not deliver the kids. And then Serpentor gets them anyway, right? So, like, one, this high-stakes thing that doesn't belong in G.I. Joe at all, well, we're going to kill the kids— didn't matter because Serpentor yeah. gets the kids anyway. And two, I feel like considering that this comic spent an entire issue where two or where a team of Joes do this like X-Files mission to go find this mystery kid, like this that's such this is such a throwaway line that is like artificially adding stakes that one, as I said, don't fit, and two don't actually matter and if it's going to be in this this needs to be a bigger deal that the joes are like fighting for these kids but mm. the kids become an afterthought once serpenter gets them and whereas before mark and i were sort of separately like pulling parts of the story out to make it work better i i don't love that like the coil has been there all along and and Serpentor shows up and, like, takes over. But it's exciting and, you know, like, I'm never entirely clear on how big G.I. Joe and how big Cobra are. So why not another, like, army? It's like another 500 tanks, another 7,000 soldiers, 17,000 soldiers. Sure. Like, you know, it's a cartoon. Sure. Um, but um, my problem my problem with the kids is that they don't add anything narratively to the story. Considering mm-hmm. how one of them was built up in that issue where the Joes are looking for him and that they're on the cover to 22 and my cover to 23 and there's that moment later on where there's a full page splash in the final chapter where Serpentor is like sort of telepathically talking with them so it's like like tell me about Hannibal 
Uh, oh, I can't tell you about Hannibal. He's older than the other clones, and he likes Serpentor, and he paints, I guess? Tell me about Julius or Attila. I don't know. What do they do? I don't know. <laughs> they're on that cover. They're on that cover wearing those cool, like, little kid Serpentor costumes. So I think what this story needed was not to have the kids, because they don't add anything. And yeah. if they're not there, then the Joes can just be, like, shocked that Serpentor is back. And Serpentor can just, like, then when he introduces the Overlord, then then it's, like, then it's more honed in. But, like, and then at the end, uh, you know, like, the kids, like, well, they're fine. We're not going to kill them after all. They seem fine, says the very young, <laughs> says the very, very young and attractive, like, doctor who's named, which almost makes me think it's, like, a friend of someone at Devil's Do. Yeah. It's like, don't worry yeah. about them. They're fine. We're going to adopt them again after all. Like, wait, didn't you just establish seven issues ago that that didn't work? And then, like, you know, there's this, like... Ken there's Rich, this... PhD, is has got no credibility to be diagnosing <laughs> these kids and say, everything is fine. Weren't yeah. you going to... Weren't you going to kill them? apparently three and a half issues ago it's fine now it's fine so i i think okay so we've compared this arc to reinstated oh can i before before you move on um i just um when you mentioned general winters you you sort of my my spidey sense started tingling i i recognize that that name we've heard that before Mm -hmm. and that was um back in issue at the end of issue 14 at the the 13 um, the wonky bat Oh, sorry. Yeah, the end of issue thirteen. Malfunction story arc. Uh, uh, malfunction. Yeah, that because w- we had that whole scene where Winters is talking to Cartwright, and we're going, "Who's who? Where? Where are they?" And yeah, Winters is uh, sort of got a bald head and no moustache, uh, whereas the the Winters we're we're seeing here has got a fine set head of hair and a nice bushy uh, moustache. So. Um, slight bit of continuity uh there that that was missed we've compared this to reinstated the first four issues right because it's it's blaylock doing a lot in four issues and then the stakes are high and then too much happens in the final issue and it relies on narration to finish we've compared this a tiny bit to the original cobra civil war in the marvel run in the 70s I haven't reread the Return of Serpentor in the IDW run. I haven't read it since it came out. Um, but sort of academically, I feel like it's worth saying aloud. That's another comparison to be made. And also, Arise, Serpentor, Arise, which is the five-parter in 1986 in the TV show that introduces Serpentor. And then, and then so I'm, I'm putting, a, putting a, cent, a, a period on that point because I, I don't want to go into those because I haven't rewatched Rise or Penner Rise in a while. But something that I do like here is, because uh, I've, I've said a lot of things that I don't like, um, something that I do like here is that uh, Blaylock is bringing in a lot of points of continuity. So uh, the Saw Viper, which I mentioned before, um, flashback to uh, the Cobra Civil War and how Zartan dispatched uh, Serpentor originally. And Mercer shows up. This is exciting, right? Because Mercer never showed up in the Marvel run. Very much one of the characters that sort of belongs to the animation. And I don't think Larry Hama is like interested in bringing in that character. Here he does something similar to what he does in the animated movie, which is as an ex-Cobra, he gets them into Cobra. 
and I always liked that character and I always felt like that character could and should do more. So it's exciting that he shows up here. <laughs> but could and should do more here. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, you know, he gets, he, gets, he gets four panels to do something. And in the shorthand, it's like, oh, I know Mercer. He's that ex-Cobra who in the animated movie gets them back into Cobra. And that's what he does here. So it's like relying on sort of information that I already know. Because, you know, there's no scene where, like, it's like, I want to introduce you to Mercer. I want to reintroduce you to Mercer. Like, oh, I still don't trust you. Because there's no other... Uh, anyway, um, then the other thing that Blaylock does is he brings in the Overlord. And this was always a question for me as a kid because the toy line tries to position him as another replacement for Cobra Commander. And maybe he was going to be just another Cobra Commander. Um, if you look over some of the like toy development, you know, the toy doesn't have to necessarily each year that they're cranking out new characters and vehicles contend with like, does this work? Does this make sense in the story? That's for the show people and the comic people to figure out, like, after the fact. It's like, here are the new toys. Make it work. And the comic book sort of reacts by not introducing the Overlord. He shows up for a couple seconds of animation in the toy commercials, but otherwise he's not in the show. So Overlord has never shown up effectively. And there's the Overlord, the evil new Cobra leader in the Dictator tank. And when it splits in two, it's twice as vicious. But are the Rage and Dictator tough enough to beat G.I. Joe? Cobra Dictator Tank comes with Overlord Cobra Rage sold separately. Now collect Joe and Cobra Command Ring free in special packages. I think it works here that he is a general for Serpentor and it's fun. Where a character shows up again, uh, like Mercer, like Overlord, and it's important, and I want to get your take on this, uh, the two of you. Um, how do you feel about Xandar and his role in this arc, Mark and Jay? Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So he sort of comes slightly out of out of the blue. I mean, we've not seen Xandar in the book today. I don't think we've we've seen lots of Dreadnoughts. We've seen Zartan, and we've seen uh, Zarana. And I think he's on a I think he's on a TV screen in issue two or something. Okay. Okay. Maybe. And I guess seeing Zorana without seeing Xandar doesn't necessarily seem strange because that is generally how uh, Larry used the characters um, in the uh, original ARA run. It would typically be Zorana on, on her own and, and Xandar only just really brief, uh, briefly appeared for, for his, his you know, initial appearance and then, then wasn't really used an awful lot after that. So... Yeah, I mean, good to have him in. He was given more time than the most in terms of the the disposable characters that we had killed off, but that whole arc just seemed too sudden, abrupt, a bit like um the October Guard that that died. Gorky. Yeah, just like Gor Gorky's zygotic monkey there dying a, li a little <laughs> bit. Uh, sort of his heel turn. And then dying quite abruptly, you know, Xandar's kind of arc seemed similar, sort of just very briefly in introduced a bit of a weird scene where Serpentor seems to persuade him of the reason that he should be following him, although he already is. Yeah. And then jumping out of the shadows and mistakenly getting stabbed by Zartan. It's just a little bit too too abrupt and just like make you know i'm sure there'd be an interesting story for for having mercer being introduced and us finding out more about him 
rather than using a shorthand of, hey, you remember that toy? You remember the guy from the movie? And and there being an interesting story there for Mercer to have a bit more time. If this story was less cluttered, maybe a couple of extra issues that Xandar's story arc might have felt a little bit more satisfying. Like maybe if it were a long story arc, like six or eight issues or maybe even longer and we had an entire issue just devoted to Xandar. But like you said, we haven't seen him at all in the series, I don't think. And then for him to just come out of left field in this last story arc, much the same way that Serpentor did, it just doesn't mean that much because you're not given that much time to care about it. But the idea that Zartan killed Xandar, I kind of liked that. I liked that whole uh, scene, you know, and Xandar or Zartan's realization that, that what he just did. Mm. Probably could have done without that last line of dialogue from Zartan where he's like, round up the troops we're leaving or something like that but then that lets destro later say well if it weren't for zartan leaving i suppose if zartan <laughs> hadn't said all right we're we're packing up we're gone then maybe when we read the line by destro we'd have been like wait a minute zartan left so makes sense i guess they were kind of setting zartan up as as you know he's going after serpentor again and, and it maybe he's gonna you know, replay the events of the original Civil War where he was able to, to you know, take out Serpentor with a bow and arrow. Oh, yeah, surely that was his goal. And, you know, and he's he's off there with his jetpack and he's looking pretty cool and uh, badass with his bow and arrow. And you're thinking, yeah, maybe uh, maybe he's going to do it again. His, history repeating. Uh, and then, you know, this this Xandar interjection just taking him completely off track of where of where he was intending to go and, and what he was intending to, to do. So, you know, maybe it's doing something from that perspective. I like that line where Zartan leaves right after he's killed Xandar. Cause this, do you? Yeah. Cause this battle now sort of means nothing to him or. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything to him. No. You know, he's, he's got a, a worldwide network of like biker gang guys to run and, He's sort of been out of the Joe Cobra conflict since the first issue and sort of only gets pulled back in because Cobra Commander and, and or Destro sort of make threats or promise things, including this very arc where Destro says, no, I need your help because Serpentor will come after you if we don't take care of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of in terms of character motive, I'm very hard on Blaylock's writing. In terms of character motivation, there are lots of things that he does that I like. I think I think those interplays are good. Um, I think Destro is well handled in this arc. Um, there's a moment that I, that I didn't quite understand, and I wanted you guys to help me with it. So a couple pages into issue 25, the final chapter, Destro has changed into his gold helmet, and he radios Hawk... And he says, Hawk, this is James Destro. My forces will breach, reach the battle in less than five minutes. I'd like to consider you an ally. I would think our common foe would take priority over any grudge between us. And then there's a silent panel where Hawk is, he's got his little radio headset and he's thinking, he's, he's furrowing his brow and he's thinking. And then he says, no, Hawk out. Uh, and then he continues back to talking to his Joes. Like, don't suffer anything. Get down there and help Duke's team. So-and-so, so-and-so. That's an order. Am I reading this right? That Hawk is not agreeing to team up with Destro in order to t- stop Serpentor? Yes, that's the way I read it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Does that... I, I thought we have established in the Devil's Due 
series, much less in other versions of G.I. Joe, that Cobra, that Joe will occasionally team up with Cobra to, like, defeat a common enemy. So I, I like, from a writing standpoint, I like the punchiness of that uh-huh. dialogue. He just says a no, and then he goes back to telling the Joes what to do. I like that silent panel. Blaylock includes silent panels, wordless panels now and then when he really wants to focus on a beat of someone thinking, of someone reacting. And for, for comic that's crowded, I'm I'm sort of surprised and pleased that he, he does this through his whole run. But the stakes seem so high, shouldn't, like, wouldn't logic dictate that Hawk would say, like, the thing that we expect him to say here? Like, just this once, Destro. Mm-hmm. Just just this second or third time, because we do have this condiment. Like, haven't all these cities fallen? Like, don't the Joes need all the help they can get, and Destro needs all the help he can get? I'll try to no-prize this. I think maybe, remember when, um, during the, the arc, the Cabal, where... Uh, Flint and Baroness had been kidnapped and the Joes work with Destro then to find uh, both of them. And I think Destro uh, kills several people in that in that story arc, um, at least a couple of a couple of them just for information alone. So maybe throughout that arc, the Joes were kind of like, damn, man, that's harsh. And now Hawk is like, no, because, you know, I, I got the report from my guys about Destro's methods in you know, Ukraine or wherever the hell it was. And uh, he's like, no, we're not, we're not working with this guy this time. He's, he's just too, he's not going to sign side with that devil to stop the other devil, even though mm-hmm. he's done it so many times in the past. Yeah. I think it's, it's almost like a sort of thumbing, you know, is at the cliche of yes, you know, we'll, we'll, t- we'll unite to take on our common yeah. enemy just this one time. It's, you know, it's been done so many times and obviously the parallel to, the original Cobra Civil War where Destro rolls up on the beach and they sort of have a kind of truce or, or you know, agreement to, to work along inside each other. It's just kind of, yeah, saying, no, Cobra are the baddies. We're not going to be on your side. Yeah. That kind of thing, <laughs> essentially. No, Destro. Bing. Hangs up. Yeah. And um, Destro's in his gold mask and, and that sort of cloaked costume as well was it um was it cobra civil war where that look was originally unveiled i have a feeling that it might have been yeah because isn't isn't the whole point of the cobra civil war to introduce destro as a separate faction for the toy line yeah essentially isn't it um i haven't i haven't reread that story no i mean is that the point of it i thought the point of it was to kill serpentor uh I, i mean from a hasbro perspective oh that could be so yeah it's another that could be it's another kind of parallel back to the uh to the cobra civil war of having destro back in this uh back in this outfit for for old time's sake also yeah parallel to the cobra civil war is that at the end of issue end of 24 that there's that operations overview at the end of the book which does a lot of heavy lifting of explaining you know all of the joes you know what groupings they're using, who they're going, the general approach of the the strategy of atta- you know attacking Cobra Island. A similar thing was done in the original Cobra Civil War, and um, in terms of value for money, time spent reading a page, it's a uh, it's a good way of uh, getting a lot of content in there for for reader. Did uh, did you guys enjoy seeing that? 
green shirts listed aside. <laughs> I, I agree with you. It was it was fun to read. It did recall the team breakdowns from the Cobra Civil War, but it also did too much narrative heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I mean, I appreciated it was in there. I don't have the issues in front of me. The original one, wasn't there a map like of Cobra Island? Yeah. And it had like almost like in the family circle where you would see a kid's progress trace through the backyard you had like arrows or family some... wait sorry family family circus yeah isn't that is that what i bill, said bill bill keens you i think you said family circle sorry bill keens newspaper <laughs> yeah, strip yeah, yeah. with 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 billy wandering on the neighborhood on a yeah. dotted line <laughs> didn't that map have something kind of like that like this is where this group's going and this is where this group's. like i said i don't have it in front of me i haven't seen it for a long time but um yeah this was this was kind of like that minus the pictures so it was helpful if not exciting can we uh I want to point out something that I like in Badeau's art, which I don't know how clear it has been to me up until this point, but in the first chapter, uh, and to some extent on the cover of the second chapter, um, he draws Dr. Mindbender as skinny and his face a little more Mm -hmm. gaunt. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that, you know, they're not all the same, like big heroic body types. And even though the original Dr. Mindbender is like, bare chested and I guess muscular. You know, I think I'm thinking of that uh, Mike Zek pinup from your book three or four. Um, like, no, he's a dentist. He's a mad scientist. He doesn't mm-hmm. lift weights. So when we see him waking up from his nightmare at the beginning of chapter one, um, and I did have a question about the beginning of chapter one. On the very first page of this entire story in panel one, two, three, four, there's a very cool looking sciencey bad guy with a bunch of stuff on his chest and a bald head. And like a gas mask. Um, and he's one of the Cobra or Coil scientists, mm-hmm. like bringing back Mindbender or bringing back Serpentor. So, this guy on the very first page of the very first chapter of this arc, who is that? That's that guy from Hellboy that works with the Nazis that brought <laughs> help. No, never mind. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a look that they employ on a few of these coils so it's i don't think it's a never a named character but it's it's one of the cobra coil offshoot characters that uh, that are split off into into the okay. different faction um so oh well so um uh, something else that i think would help the story flow better um because there are so many factions and this is the first time we're seeing a lot of these coil soldiers and are, are these some of these coil soldiers are they referencing action figures from 2003 no i think they're they're entirely oh, okay. in, in, invented for the for the comics okay and so there's, there's a couple of little panels where they kind of like suggest that you know the the transition that 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 has you know followed showing showing uh, there's a like a, a panel where there's a group of Cobra soldiers and then the next panel along is a group of coil soldiers and it's kind of showing the evolution of initially they were just basically Cobras who had you know, lost their belief in Cobra Commander and were united behind Serpentor, but that has evolved into them having their own more distinctive look. Yeah, so that, that page you're referring to with the two or three panels of visual evolution um, I like the attempt. It it wasn't enough for me. And, you know, part of why we like G.I. Joe 
is the costumes and the gear. You know, it's like part mm-hmm. of why I like X-Men is the costumes. And I don't want to read an X-Men story where they're all just wearing like like jackets and ties. You know, it's like, please, at least, if Cyclops is going to be wearing a jacket and tie, he has to have red sunglasses on. Because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, this is a story where they're all like shaved bald and they're all depowered. So Cyclops <laughs> doesn't even have his red sunglasses on. It's like, well, then I'm not like scratching that itch of seeing these designs. Um, and... Uh, I I love that this whole faction, this new faction of Cobra, gets these designs, and they're one or two or three, two or three different sort of kinds of coil soldiers or troopers or scientists. Um, but imagine if at the end of issue chapter one, there were instead of a letters page, like two battle files mm. profile pages of like Overlord. And like coil soldier or like coil cloning scientist and coil soldier. That would be kind of a cheat because it's not in the story, but it'd still be part of the value package of buying this comic. And, um, you know, I, I, I see this, this, like this conflict in Blaylock's writing where he has a lot happen, a lot of story, a lot of movement, a lot of characters, a lot of locations. Um, and yet he's also like, Again, even even at issue 23, 24, 25, his pages are divided into five, six, seven, eight, nine panels. And, um, you know, like comics in 2000, like, you know, think of think of um, think of Ultimate Marvel, uh, think of uh, Wildstorm in 2000, 2001, 2002, um, you know, like. Warren Ellis and Mark Millar on the authority, like, quote, widescreen storytelling. Um, Grant Morrison's new X-Men, where you'd have one page with, like, four horizontal panels, and then you turn the page, and there's, like, a two-page splash, and then you turn the page, and there's, like, a one-page splash. And, you know, like, two- and three-issue stories were seemingly getting stretched out to five or six issues to make for like the graphic novel collection, not like a one satisfying 22 page chapter of a story. And I got a hand at the Blaylock, even, even two years into his run, he's still like every page has a lot of value, but I really needed the story to slow down for a page or two, just so I could like see some coil soldiers and be introduced to them. And like, love their costumes you know like part of why the shorthand of the first few issues of gi joe in 1982 like there's no like one page where like a cobra soldier walks in and cobra commander's like yes let me inspect my soldiers ah your helmet and your costume it's like no as kids we had the we had the toys like we like stared at the painting on the package we'd seen them in the show but here this whole new faction is like introduced in flashback in like three or four pages so i I, I, I need time and space to like see them and sort of appreciate them and love them. And then when they get defeated, I can say, oh, no. And a bit of a confusing flashback as, as well. So we start Cobra Island four years ago with them sort of uh, doing something to uh, Serpent or then it's present present day, Dr. Mindbender having a nightmare. Then it's him, him sort of having a, a, a memory is part of his nightmare of, of him coming out of a tank, his cloned body, waking up. Then we're back in present day with him and, and the uh, serpent or clone kids. And then I think we're back on another flashback 
with Serpentor finally returning and coming out of his cloning device. He's been out for three years, three years since the Civil War. So, yeah, it's not it's not present day because we're uh, a number of years uh, ahead of that, that they previously said that's at least, you know, five, five years uh, ahead. And then we are back to, to, to present day. And I had to look through those pages a number of times to kind of situate myself as to what was happening and and when and it's not i guess trivial to the story because you know it, it's an indication then of how long particularly serpent or has been back and around and then able to have been working his machina machinations in in the in the background and building his new new forces um so it's a it's a click key plot point but quite muddled in the way that it was presented after I I felt the same way when I was reading those flashbacks, I was thinking, oh, cool. The, the stuff about my, uh, Mindbender being conflicted that he's a clone, that's great. Because yeah. when, when he came back toward the end of the Marvel run, that was such a compromise because when Larry Hama kills him off in the sunken freighter, it's like, cool, like just desserts. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, there's a new action figure. It's like, oh, I got to find a way to bring him back. And, you know, we didn't really go into that except for, you know, he's cloned and he's back. Um, so <laughs> yeah. that he would have complex feelings about it is great. But when I got to the second chapter of this, the very first page starts with Serpentor and Mindbender on Cobra Island. And I thought, oh, this must be a flashback. This must be like the four years ago or the seven years ago or the four months ago. I can't tell. And then the scene just sort of starts with Storm Shadow showing up to save Cobra Commander. And I thought, oh, I guess if it was a flashback, it would have said Gulf of Mexico, Cobra Island four years ago. And then I turned the page and just to echo my my previous point about wishing there was more space to see the coil characters, right? Like I was thinking of the, the sort of final battle in issue 25 where there are all these, I think, orange coil characters that kind of look like the Overlord. But here, um, Cobra Commander... There's this assassination or kidnapping attempt on Cobra Commander and Storm Shadow intervenes and these, I don't know who they are, show up on um, uh, water skis, jet skis, on this dock and Storm Shadow dispatches them and Cobra Commander gets away, but then he doesn't get away. And it's like, and some of this is the writing because there's not a lot of space given to these jet ski guys. And some of this is Tim Seeley's choices, but this entire new, like, quote, action figure design, right? I know it wasn't a toy. This entire new like character, like the Cobra Coil jet ski pilots, like the Cobra Commander like assassination kidnap squad shows up and we never see them from the front, right? Tim Seeley gets to draw them in one, two, three, four, four panels. And we're always seeing them from behind. It's like, one, who are these guys? I figured it out later. Two, oh, what do they look like? You know, it's like, there's no fan art, on out there on the internet for like the the cobra coil various troopers and soldiers from the last stand because they they show up so briefly tim to me it looks like they're dead <laughs> uh i mean you know characters <laughs> characters showing up characters showing up quickly and then dying hasn't well, I guess I guess there's not a lot of cool breeze 
or mangler fan art out there either. So I guess I guess <laughs> you you make a logical you make a logical point. Okay. I, on, while we're on this particular page uh, with uh, the coil person capturing Cobra Commander, who we later find out is Xandar, uh, I do have an error detected, which is that uh, Cobra Commander is switching from his cowled look to his helmeted look, and we can see his chin. But later on, when he comes to re to remove his mask, uh, he has got a second mask underneath. So so that is my error that that he should have had a second mask underneath. You can no prize it. Go on. Uh, I'll do an error detected. All oh, right, I thought you could no prize it. <laughs> the... Oh. Um... When he was captured, he had ample time in in the in his you know in his uh, prison that he could have taken off the mask put on another mask and then re on his helmet there we go uh, i'll do an error detected a couple pages later this is still the first chapter of this story on page nine there's this first panel which is a, a tall vertical panel of the joe convoy and uh, damon and firewall um she's on the left he's on the right driving the vehicle and then th the the other three panels on this page she's on the left he's on the right in the in the cab of this uh, sort of like new and improved gi joe havoc um can we keep on that idea of the havoc while, while you've raised it yeah 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 and by the way tim uh, i think um she's got you know it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind and her seat um <laughs> the 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 havoc was yeah an interesting um an interesting part of the book we've kind of remarked before that there's not been a huge amount of focus in the devil's due issues generally on the gi joe vehicles and there's a little bit more of that in in these issues we see quite a few vehicles crop up um there's this new designed version of of the the havoc which is kind of looking a little bit more like a, a real world vehicle to some some degree there's it's looking a little bit more armored there's a there's a, a part on the the top a, sort of a gun turret with with a an armored frontage onto it that uh row roadblock is behind i know it's roadblock because it says roadblock across his chest um <laughs> and uh yeah it looks you know it's quite a satisfying update to to the vehicle at least to to my eyes and there's yeah a few other vehicles that that crop up we've got the stun that is used by the the co the cobra is a vehicle that you know hasn't had too much in the in the comics and as a toy it's just a bit weird the way that it sort of opens up the front of it for not a huge <laughs> logical reason as to to what that then achieves whereas actually splitting it into two smaller vehicles kind of works yeah there's not a huge payoff uh as far as the stun opening up like that no, it's kind it of a weird, weird vehicle, like you said. It, uh, I had it. I enjoyed it, though. I mean, it was, you know, it was a nice blocky little thing. It was gave Cobra something other than the his tank. But, yeah, not terribly practical. The scene here in this arc where the, the new stun does show up and splits in half, I was a little confused because when we first see it, it's very small mm -hmm. and it's in a very crowded, busy panel. And then a, pa a panel or two or three later, it has split. And I didn't know it could do that because I hadn't read Battle Files very carefully. 
uh, and there's no panel where it actually splits. Yeah. And this is one of my rules for comics, and this comes from Transformers. Uh, if you are an artist drawing Transformers and a Transformer transforms, you have to draw them three times. You have to draw them in one mode, you have to draw them transforming, and you have to draw them in their other mode. And sometimes artists just draw them, and then like elsewhere in the panel, like in front of them, there's just a car, or the next panel, there's just a car or a plane. And I think, no, 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 I need a little inset panel with like some arms and cockpits folding. So I really also like this I know this I know this toy this excuse me I know this comic series is not particularly toyetic because it's Blaylock just telling the story that he wants to tell and only here and there referring to the toys which was sort of up to him as you um, demonstrated in some trivia in an earlier episode you know Hasbro's not making him but like no, it's, it's a cool thing. Call this out. Have a panel where the stun driver is like, stuns, separate. Um, okay, so um, uh, I have an error detected in the uh, second chapter of this story on page 17. Uh, this is a scene I really like, by the way. Again, I'm very hard on Blaylock's writing, um, but I, th I think this scene's great. Destro and... Uh, Storm Shadow are standing in the doorway of a helicopter. Oh, yes. Destro's, Destro's asking how involved Storm Shadow is going to be. I think, I think Storm Shadow's dialogue is a little overdone here, right? Like, my body is willing, but my mind and my soul are tired. It's like, okay, I appreciate that you're referring back to how difficult the previous arc was. I'm still not really sold on, like, it, is he choosing to stay with Cobra? Is he still, like, half zapped by the brainwave scanner? But okay. Uh, I think I think the error detected here is in this large panel on the bottom of page 17 of issue 23. There's this word balloon I'm leaving at the next rendezvous point, and it's pointing at Destro. I'm pretty sure that's Storm Shadow's dialogue. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so while we're talking about this this page, actually, I'll, I'll probably call it out. I think this, this was my, my favorite line of uh, dialogue. Um, Storm Shadow says, if you're questioning my loyalty, Destro, don't bother. My devotion to Cobra is as unbreakable as yours. And in my first reading of the issue, I was like, okay, that's that's Storm Shadow trying to, you know, assuage Destro that he's still loyal and he's saying that he's devoted. But but he's saying it's unbreakable as yours, Destro. Uh, Destro, who has on numerous occasions uh, broken free of Cobra and uh, gone on his own and betrayed, uh, betrayed Cobra. So, yeah, well said, well said, Storm Shadow. And of course, you're above suspicion, just like I am, putting words in his mouth there. But um, yeah, a, a, a sort of a bit, a bit more subtlety to to the to the dialogue there. Do you think that was kind of a jab, kind of like, yeah, well, yeah, I think so. we know how yeah, loyal yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I like that. Quote of the week. 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 Um, while we're doing favorite lines of dialogue, I'll do my favorite line of dialogue. Which oh, don't is... take mine. Actually, I have a couple. Um, <laughs> uh, do, do yours first. I have to, I have to find <laughs> Let me see. The first one was just on one of the pages before that one where Destro says to the Crimson Twins, the two of you can barely stand to get your hands dirty when you're eating. That one made me laugh out loud. And then in good line. And then in episode or issue twenty four, I'm not sure who it is. It's I don't think it's Lady J. It was uh, 
a, a female character sitting at a desk, you know, at a computer screen or something. And she said, we're about to invade an island to stop some guy in a snake suit who may or may not be a clone of history's greatest conquerors. Put it like that, and there's really no need to worry, right? <laughs> and then also in that issue later, Zartan says about Cobra Commander, he goes, rescue him. I wouldn't spit on Cobra Commander if he were on fire. <laughs> that was another great one. There were there were those couple spots that I, I thought were really funny. Laughed out loud when I was reading it. Yeah. And we've to be to be fair, we've not always necessarily even picked out favorite line of dialogue as we've been doing these. Yeah, well, I mean, and sometimes there's not like the first issue. There really wasn't anything that stood out. But yeah, it's noticeable here that, yeah, we, we are seeing more dialogue that's getting going. Yeah, that's that's a nice that's a nice piece of dialogue now uh, at the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, Jay, Jay, you, uh, you and I had picked. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. Um, I think I've done that for you. Uh, I, I like that line, Destro's uh, needling the twins. That was funny. Um, and that you know that that feels more like the cartoon, yeah. which which is fine with me because I, I like them a lot in the cartoon and they're underused in the Marvel comic. But your other line uh, from this, oh, she there's a green shirt uh, uh, at the GI Joe Los Angeles bureau. That line that you yeah. just quoted. Um, she does have a name because she has a name tag. Her name is Stanley. Oh, I missed that. Um, See the name uh, tag the, didn't it's help. It's at the very bottom. It's at the it's at the very <laughs> bottom of the panel. So um, my my least favorite line of dialogue in this least favorite happens to yeah happen oh, no, because you to make a new jingle. <laughs> uh, my uh, this is this is this is this is mild, right? Um, Sing a jingle to, first, Tim. Uh, uh, it's like uh, me whenever I hear a character uh, name dropped in the video. I'm like, oh, I gotta find a page for that. Tim doesn't like it. Someone is talking. Dialogue's clunky. The words are bad. Um. <laughs> Tim doesn't like it. Someone is talking. Dialogue's clunky. The words are bad. All right, so two panels earlier, Duke Duke is on a Duke is on a screen talking to these two Joe green shirts at a computer in the GI Joe Los Angeles bureau, and uh, uh, so Duke's just gotten some bad news on on the from the previous page, right? That like they're like rattlers in Los Angeles, and Duke continues at the top of page two. Damn it, we don't have time for this. What's the sit wrap on your shutdown? We're going as fast as we can, Duke. Um, make it happen! Uh, make it happen, soldier! Now, he's like yelling at them. <laughs> like that doesn't. Like this. This doesn't feel like GI Joe, right? This like, is not I the first time that Duke can... has screamed at a computer monitor, though, and told somebody to you know to to make it happen. Do Do you mean in Devil's Do? Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Devil's in Devil's Do. Do. Remember the other one was I think during the malfunction arc, because he was still in the mm. in like his CIA, CIA suit. And it was right. when Sneak Peek called in or something that was getting killed. And, and Duke is like, I don't know what he said. Stay on the line or something like that. That's an order. So if this is an attempt to differentiate Hawk and Duke, right? Like uh, Duke is uh, got like a little bit of a temper. Or he's more impatient. Like, well, that that's fine. Except that Hawk in the final chapter of this issue is like talking to some Joes, tells them what to do, and then adds, that's an order. 
So he's in effect doing the same thing. So there, if this is an attempt to differentiate these two characters, it's not. Late, um, later on, Duke, uh, there's a scene where Duke is is in battle and he's shouting and firing firing his dual wielded pistols. He says, "Don't give up. Push until they fall down." And then it's Overlord gets uh, gets a bit of wire around his neck and he shout and he re- replies, "Is that how you lead by shouting slogans and you wonder why you're losing?" There you go. So acknowledgement. You can't just shout at people to to get the best out of them. Um, so I thank you for bringing that up. Um, either either Blaylock sees the problem or uh, Overlord does. But I sort of feel like even though there's a chain of command, and even though I feel like the Joes all get along, the Joes all do a good job because the Joes are all the best of the best, and. Um, this little bit of dialogue where he's like, Duke is impatient and he's yelling at like subordinates that actually can't do any better or faster. Um, it just sort of rings false. It doesn't, it's like a small thing that doesn't feel like GI Joe. And it happens again in the second chapter in this scene on page 11, where Stalker and Scarlet are talking and she's filled with regret for how she left things with snake eyes. And, I, I, he, Stalker's got a great line of dialogue, right? She, she says, uh, I got pretty mad before he left. I said some things. And he says, is that all? Shoot, girl, that man's going to marry you. That's great. But then she pulls out a ring and she says, I need to make sure he knows uh, that this means something to me. Can't get married without your ring, right? Uh, no, that's wrong, Scarlet. You absolutely can get married without your ring. Uh, I feel like, again, this is sort of getting the character wrong and making a woman like overly emotional. No, Scarlet and Snake Eyes have been through, I don't mean this metaphorically, the war together. They've been on the team since the beginning. She was there when he got injured. You know, I, I, I get it. She's upset that he's gone back on this mission when they're supposed to have this life together. I don't I don't agree with that, but like, okay, that's where we are. But then sort of this icing on this, like, this sour icing on this sour cake. Like, she pulls out the ring. It's like, no, I, no one cares about the ring. It's like, you guys have this this like spiritual bond because you will always be there for him and he will always be there for you. You're going to rescue him. He's going to rescue you, your family. It's not the wolves. Your family's the other Joes. Like who cares about a freaking ring? And as a, that it's like a prop and that it gets two whole panels and that she's worried about it. Ugh. Yeah. We could have done without all of the Scarlet stuff throughout here. I think she's consistently been written bad. Yeah. Through the whole thing. I think we've we've talked about most of the stuff. Let's let's do some eye spying. I spy with my little eye. Um, okay, first I spy from me. We've got a roll call of all of the clones, serpentors. Uh, we've got uh, Ivan, Alexander, Julius, Attilia, uh, Genghis, Vlad, Philip, Napoleon, and Thomas. Uh, so, you know, referencing Ivan the Terrible, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, Vlad the Impaler, Philip Windsor, uh, Napoleon, no, Philip uh, Mountbatten, actually. Um, actually, who, who do you think Philip is? There's a few famous Philips from, from uh, I mean, there's a few... Yeah, King Philips, etc. Throughout history, Philip Seymour uh, Hoffman, Alexander the Great, <laughs> Alexander the Great's father was a Philip. There was a Philip of Spain and and whatnot. So it, it's less obvious to me what 
who Philip would be. Any any guesses? I do not have a guess. No. Uh, Napoleon blown apart, and Thomas. And that final Thomas gave me pause to think as well who who that might be. And I think that might be Thomas Arashikage. Oh, it could be. Because of past, you know, Mm -hmm. he was part of that um, Serpentor DNA soup. Yeah. Hmm. Or is it Thomas Paine? <laughs> hmm. Um, I, I, th- I, th- I, um, this, uh, this brings up an interesting idea that even as Blaylock is cramming in a lot and um, seeing himself out, uh, he is leaving some breadcrumbs for Brandon hmm. Jorwa to perhaps pick up. So that might be one of them. And then another um, is when Mercer shows up in chapter two. On page 13, Hawk opens up a high security door and brings Duke into a, a little, what looks like interrogation room. And Hawk says, I'm sure you remember Mercer. And Mercer says, hello, boys. Surprised you could find me. Um, and then Duke or Hawk, I guess Hawk, uh, sort of as a, as a snippet of continuing dialogue over the next panel where the scene cuts somewhere else says, we can discuss that later. Right now, we need to talk about Cobra Island. So this indicates that um, there was or will be more story with Mercer getting found. may just be a throwaway line. It's like, oh, you easily got all the other Joes to come back when you reactivated them, and I was harder to find or come back. But this Mm. also seems to allude to a a potential issue of frontline or something. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you remember Um, Mercer. Yeah. Watch G.I.J. the movie like everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Um, my uh, my eye spy, I have two. One is at the end of the first... You guys might not have this if you're reading online or in a, in a graphic novel. At the end of the first chapter is an ad for Rhino Home Video's Transformers Season 3 DVDs, which I worked on uh, in a tiny capacity... And my name's on the back of the package. And the Rhino DVDs make me a little sad because uh, Rhino subcontracted out some sound work to a company in, I think it was Michigan, and they remixed uh, G.I. Joe and Transformers episodes in Dolby 5.1 and added sound effects and then said they didn't, which made a handful of fans like me very grumpy. Um, So I've kept all my Rhino G.I. Joe and Transformers DVDs because of the great bonus features. Uh, and they did do a tremendous job remastering the picture. Uh, but the um, the uh, Shout Factory DVDs are tops because they uh, restored the original audio. Okay, and then my other eye spy <laughs> is uh, in the final chapter in issue 25. On page 7, the Joes are landing on the beach with two whales and some regular navy ships behind them and some coil forces are on the beach trying to repel them and in panel one two three uh duke has three balloons of dialogue and he's drawn in a tiny round inset panel which has a little um i don't even know what you call it it's like sort of a magnifying glass effect a call out to where he's actually in the uh is it the slam that's the mini tank that's disembarking from armadillo isn't it Armadillo, thank you, uh, from uh, the whale. And 
that's one of those little language of comics things that you can do and that like most artists sort of never get around to doing you like have a little visual zoom in on something uh, as an inset panel so that's fun and now let me let me let me let me give credit where credit's due good job tim seeley that's great I had in issue 22, there's a rhyming roadblock that we don't always uh, get mm-hmm. in the comic books. Um, you can tell it's roadblock because he has roadblock written across his chest. <laughs> um, he says, quick clown in for I have to come down and start some pounding. There you go. Um, I also had uh, Firefly doing a backflip off of his um, stun cycle before it explodes. And that's a scene that I believe was replicated in part in uh one of the gi the second gi joe movie which would be retaliation when that uh, yeah and i think they did have access to the uh devil's due comics as they're making not only did they have access to the devil's due comics it looks like they were paying more attention to the devil's due comics than the marvel comics okay and uh last uh i spy from me was was serpentor quoting well or, or dialoguing and saying Cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. Which I, I believe that's a famous uh, Klingon quote from <laughs> Star Trek Six. Probably. The undiscovered from the, the undiscovered country. I think General General Chang is mocking Kirk in Star Trek Six with that famous Klingon line. Yeah, it loses uh, something from yes. the translation. That's, that's probably uh, from Klingon yeah. to English. <laughs> Very good, James. <laughs> so uh, so Ser- Serpentor. It, what I was going to say, of course, was that in. Uh, Serpentor's spare time, he has, of course, been uh, catching up on lots of Star Trek. <laughs> you gotta catch up on the important stuff. <laughs> or maybe, let, if I finish my, if I, if I finish off what I was actually, actually referring to, it was, of course, Mark Antony, Act Three, Scene One, Line Two Hundred Seventy Three of William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, and um, yeah, so so Serpentor would, of course, know the uh, the dialogue from that play given that um, he was Julius Caesar in a former life. Um, although I just, I just want to point out, I don't I know just, that Shakespeare was necessarily there and recording his exact dialogue word, word for word. It I, may have been. I, you know what? I'm going to push back, Mark. I think this actually, I think this definitely is a, a Star Trek reference and not a Shakespeare reference because this is important and you're wrong on the very final page of this entire story. Uh-huh. When we see the clones, uh, in the fourth to last panel, the clones are like getting tested and they're going to get like put in families. One of them is playing with a Starship Enterprise toy. Okay. So Serpentor very much does have Star Trek uh, on the brain. Um, I, uh, uh, Jay, do you have a, 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 an I Spy? Because I, I have one more. In the scene in 23, when uh, Serpentor had leaked location of Cobra bases to Joe's. And Joes were going around and uh, cleaning up the Cobra bases. One of the ones that they rounded up was in a place called, I think it's Delhi Hills, uh, which is where issues 14 to 15 took place. So they were much better finding the Cobras the second time uh, in their visit there than they were the first time. And my last, my second I spy is, uh, I think it's like four pages from the very end. Maybe, let's see, one, two, three, no, three pages. We get a, a wide shot there with some Joes that we haven't seen before. We've got Repeater, who was always one of my favorites. And then we've got uh, Paladin from The Amazing Spider-Man standing by Lady J. And I think that's Eminem in the back. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> wow. Uh, but it's nice to see Repeater, all kidding aside. Uh, speaking of things showing up where they shouldn't, uh, like <laughs> recording stars and Marvel characters, yeah. um, I, I have one more error detected, and that is that there is a letter printed in issue 24, which is a reprint of a letter that was printed in issue 23. Oh, no, that's bad. <laughs> um, okay, my, my final eyes. Is at least a complimentary letter? On... Uh, yeah, I mean they all are. Uh, actually, one one of my one of one of my one of my sort of top down views because I read the letters uh, in because I'm reading the issues right, not the collections, is that um, half the letters seem to be someone saying this is great, and half letters seem to be saying someone saying um, this is great. Here's some things that really bug me, but this is really really great, and. I'm sort of waiting for one of these letters to sound more like my letter where the person says, this is really bugging me. And they just stop writing. They don't then go back and say, but I still really, really like it. Because in a couple of letters, the, the people, like one or two letters are like, I don't like the story and there are too many characters, but I love this series. It's like, well, what else is there? Okay. Um, my final I Spy is on the last page of this entire series, uh, this entire arc. Uh, first panel is Hector Ramirez, mm -hmm. uh, a news reporter from the Sunbow episodes. Oh, yeah. uh, he's, not, he's not called out here. He has a lower third, uh, which says uh, WWH 20, 20 questions, right? So we know the name of the show. We know the huh. name of the network. But the letterer, the letterer did not comp his name into that orange oh, rectangle yeah. where like the newscaster's uh, name would go. When I was flipping yeah, through this I, paperback, I saw his picture in there, and it just immediately it stuck out to me as, oh, there's a Hector Ramirez character from the twenty episodes question or twenty questions episode. Uh, uh, I sh I should also point out that uh, there's a character who is just like Hector Ramirez in the Deke episodes, who has a different name, who is very oh, really? clearly just meant to be. Who's just meant <laughs> to be uh, Hector Ramirez. I have a feeling that we saw Hector Ramirez crop up in earlier on in the. Uh, in the issues as, as well. Oh, yeah. Is he in, is he in issue four? Does he do some of the recap at the end of... Maybe. He was is he the guy who's like, the good guys sure saved the day against those microscopic robots that Tim can't see? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, one small error detected, uh, I spy as combined. Um, in issue 22, we have got Lifeline with a gun. What do you guys think about that? Um, is it canon in the comics, or is that just from the show? Um, it's from the comics. There's that uh, special missions issue. Uh, oh, right, right, of course. Issue the four, action figure yeah, came with a gun, though. Yeah. I mean, I mean why did they... I, I think from a... I understand why they made him I think from a, anti-gun and... It, it, you know, maybe it shoots a, medicine, Jay. Have you thought about that? <laughs> it's a tranquilizer um, gun. I, I, think, I think marketing at Hasbro in 1986 knew that if they released a figure that came with a backpack and a briefcase and no gun uh kids wouldn't buy it because yeah. these are action characters who have weapons and and it, it butts up against the character logic that we see in the in the fiction uh i i have a small uh, error detected um uh in in the in the final chapter um a couple pages in um, uh, the letter I was in chapter three. I didn't. I didn't write this one down. Um, 
Uh, the letter I with serifs, right, the little horizontal lines at the top and the bottom of an I, uh, appear again in dialogue and narration where it's words that aren't just the word I by themselves, right? And, and in our first one or two episodes for Disavowed, uh, I complained about how as, as a rule for lettering, if the word I, just the letter I, like I, me, my, is by itself, it should have serifs. And if it's in a word like interim or interior or hair, uh, the eye should not have serifs. And serifs show up again here. Ah, well. um, are we all done with our spying? Jay, was there Oh, wait, there's, uh, sorry, there's, uh, there's one last uh, I spy. Um, in issue 24, uh, Blackgate Prison gets mentioned. Blackgate Prison is sort of something in uh, DC, isn't it? Yeah, it's in it's in it's in DC, but um it's also uh in the second G.I. Joe animated miniseries. Huh. Uh when 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 Zartan on the Chameleon uh rescues Cobra Commander and the Baroness is in disguise inside. Oh yeah. Um that's there's this there's a, a there's a prison in the swamp, yeah. right? Like sort of like in the water. Uh, that's that's Blackgate Prison. So once again, uh, the Devil's Due comic is mm. um, mixing the animated. And then uh, also in, in issue 24, um, Serpentor, at the end of his speech, yells, this I command, which is what he said in the cartoon. And you can see this, one, as another small reference to the cartoon. And uh, two, Blaylock sort of holding back. And I appreciate this. Mm-hmm. It's like, What's what is Serpentor's slogan? What does he say too much in the cartoon? What becomes <laughs> sort of like silly and eye rolling, like this I command? And what does he only do one time in this whole arc? Say this I command. I hadn't even spoken um, that one. So uh, and then uh, I wanted to point out one more thing that I like about this uh, arc because uh, I'm very hard on Blaylock's writing. Um, Cobra Commander is pretty awesome as oh, yeah. and after mm-hmm. he breaks out of prison that um, the, the two coil guys get shocked when trying to pull his helmet out, right? Which we have seen in the animation uh, and it releases gas in the comics, in the Marvel comics, right? So we know the Cobra Commander, uh, and then isn't it in the, is it in the file card of Battle Armor Cobra Commander? I forget. Uh, but we've seen in the fiction, Cobra Commander um, does not easily uh, get unmasked. So he takes out these two guards, he grabs their like shocking baton, he very quickly teams up with the Joes, but says something um, sort of uncaring. And then he goes back in to like deal with Serpentor, which is cool and the badass. And despite having been beaten up, he's still mean and in control and brave. And like, he's going to get his command back and he calls Destro and they're, and they're arranging it. So I, I like how Cobra Commander is, particularly in the final issue, and a half of this arc. Yeah, he, I mean, he's caught up in an explosion, the one, the one that knocks um, uh, Snake Eyes on his ass, and um, and he and he gets a shard of glass or metal embedded in his hand, so it's you know it's part of it is coming through the uh, other other side through his palm, and he then uses that um, jagged metal that's embedded in his hand to uh, to off one of the uh, one of the Serpentor's goons. So yeah, pretty uh, pretty brutal stuff. But I do find the visual storytelling of that grenade 
with the Joes like coming up the stairwell and there's a door and Cobra Commander and Snake Eyes are somewhere in the door, mm-hmm. out the door at the so top of the confused. stairs. Yeah. I couldn't follow that scene. So two, two, two steps forward, one step back for me, always. Okay. Are we, are we done talking this issue? Yeah. I think so. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, yo, Joeage. <laughs> That's not a thing. Let's, let's give some yo-jo ratings. Um, I want to be positive. I think I'm going to go quite high. I think I'm going to go like seven and a half. I think, uh, as we've talked about, this arc is by no means perfect. There are a few things that irk me about it. But in terms of the sheer ambition, which largely succeeds, I liked it. I did go back and reread it multiple times, in part because I found some of it a little bit confusing, but in part as well that that I enjoyed it and felt like it was worth reading through multiple times to to pick out some of maybe the details that I didn't spot first time round. So yeah, slightly mixed rea- sort of feelings towards it, but but generally I think positive and enthusiastic about it. I give this a five. Bado's art, we're off to a good start. Some intriguing stuff with cloning and I you know as I don't love how Serpentor came back in the IDW run. This works better for me as a comparison. Still too much going on, but uh, I'm intrigued. Uh, echoes of the Cobra Civil War, but some confusing visual storytelling. Lots of really underwhelming art panels that just sort of panels and poses and expressions that have no heft and just sort of sit there. I'm, I'm much more interested in the version of this story where everyone acts in character, half as much happens, and it gets one or two more issues. I don't think I can argue with that. I'm much more interested in this version of the story that's drawn by Steve Epstein. I'm going to give <laughs> this... You can't say that. I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm going to give... You can't just say, this would be better if it was drawn by my favourite artist. It would be. Of course it would. (laughs) It would be. It totally would be. Strike that from the record. (laughs) (laughs) Objection. Sustained. Sustained. Yeah, objection, Geronda. Prosecution's leading the witness. (laughs) I'm going to go six. I just didn't didn't enjoy this one all that much. Um, Like I said, uh, told Tim, I think... It was uh, just disappointing after after how high we all were on uh, 20 and 21, how good those issues were. Bado drew the first issue in this, which I think was probably on par with his artwork in issue 20. But like most of the artwork in these four issues, it was just buried under the atrocious coloring. And that, that really, really, I mean... Uh, it, it was at least a, at least a one Yojo Cola rating for me because of color alone, if not two. Yeah, there was just too much stuff going on that that we didn't get to see. It would have been an incredible story seeing all those cities getting taken over and and stuff, but we we didn't see it. It all happened, and, and we were just told that it happened off panel. So it really killed a lot of the momentum and the the awe that you could have had in that final issue. The last two issues when. 
uh, when Serpentor uh, came out and and attacked like the world, that should have been this epic. Uh, like you guys mentioned, uh, Brian Hitch and, and I think you said that and uh, planetary and authority with the widescreen kind of you know storytelling. That's what this should have been. That's what those uh, early issues when when the Cobras were attacking should have been. And it wasn't. We didn't even see most of that stuff. Uh, what we got was a lot of panels of uh, mid-level shots and close-up shots of people and word balloons and captions telling us what was going on. So just wasn't wasn't as strong in the execution as the last two issues that we read were. I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, Tim, I think Tim mentioned earlier, like maybe, maybe these are seeds, some of these are seeds that Blaylock's planning for, for the next writer. And I kind of thought about that the other day after I read this the first time and I thought, well, this is like, this is such a big story idea that this would be, there's not a lot of, uh, where do you go from here? You know what I mean? It's like, this is a big, huge kind of finale story. And I think, um, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm not sure where they go from here. I'm not sure where a new guy comes in and picks up after something so monumental has happened. And the fact that it's, I don't know, the, the art was not great. So it, it didn't seem monumental when we read it. It wasn't as monumental as it could have been and should have been. So, yeah, it was disappointing overall. For me, there is a panel in the final chapter that encapsulates my reaction to the entire arc. Um, it's the panel where Serpentor is falling after Cobra Commander has kicked him. So first panel of page 23. Um, to Jay's point just now, uh, the water under Serpentor is overcolored. The rocks above and below overcolored, right? Far too much texture, far too busy um, sort of competing with focus. And then Serpentor himself, there are at least 15 little highlights on the sort of green aqua parts of his costume. And then also highlights on the orange armor. And in terms of like cramming in too much, right? Like Serpentor is falling. And this is what he's saying as he's falling over a waterfall. If I shall perish this day, then so shall all. None of you shall live to bear my legacy. Boop, breep, boop, <laughs> as he pushes some buttons on his uh, wrist. So what I see here is too much happening for the amount of space that's been given it, right? And I know that with comics, you know, there's there's an organic push and pull where you might have, like, a moment where it's wordless and someone's just thinking and you're sort of supposed to like sit on that panel for longer. Um, sometimes you have like moment to moment panel transitions where someone or like action to action, someone like their hand is on a door and then their hand is like opening the door. And other times you cut from one panel to the next and it's like cutting across the room, cutting across the continent. And then in terms of like, it's sort of not being emotionally satisfying you know, what he's saying here is like a thing that we've seen before. It's like Skele uh, Skeletor says this in He-Man, you know, like, like if I can't have the red crystal of so-and-so, no one can. Like Serpentor says this in um, in, what, in a 1986 episode, right? It's like, uh, if Cobra cannot have the antimatter reactor, then no one can. He pushes the button, blows it up, and then the Cobra, like, battleship crashes into the flag and they both sink underwater. Anyway. <laughs> also, and, and also, if I can't have my clone children things then no one shall yeah and um um 
it's just all overdone, I think, is what you're trying to say. And that panel is a perfect example of it. Just the water, the texture in the water alone doesn't need to be there. And all it does is just visually clutter up your image. You're, I can't stress or forget at all what you said earlier, Tim, that your eyes hurt looking at, at, the, at one of the covers. That's the way mine were after reading the entire arc. And it was because it was just, oh, the color is so... Um, I don't know, is it as bad or worse than the reinstated arc? It'd be a tough competition. As a, as a comparison, I want to go back to issue five, which Blaylock wrote, right? It was, yeah. it was a fill-in, it was fill-in art. It was fill-in art, but it wasn't fill-in script. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think that issue was amazing. Um, but as a comic book, as a narrative, it functions really well. And it's got one guy uh, and, you know, motorcycle chase and fills in some backstory. And I think what the Blaylock run demonstrates to me is that less is more, right? When Blaylock is writing a two-issue arc with seven or eight characters, right? Issues 20 and 21. Even where he's dealing with leftover story elements from the Marvel run, right? Storm Shadow is brainwashed and that's it's like a, an extra thing to juggle. He, he does better with it. When he's doing the really big stuff, it feels like it wants to be a five-part miniseries in the animated show. You know, G.I. Joe is really crowded and just G.I. Joe and Cobra is really crowded. And once you also introduce, you know, the October Guard and Destro and the Coil and like not just like Joe headquarters and Cobra headquarters, but like, you know, several different Joe headquarters and also like five world capitals. So, you know, I think of Mark's word from his Yo Joeage score, um, ambitious and uh Oof. So, uh, you know, Serpentor falling. Uh, let's 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 do Inuendo. It's this has been a long episode. Let's have some levity. We could use a lot. You know, Serpentor gets a lot of hate on, online, I think. But I love that original design. And the original figure was yeah. just fantastic. I, you know, I mean, it's not whatever you think of the, the sci-fi storyline, but just that uh that, that character and, and, and the original design, the air chariot, everything about it was just so cool. Serpentor is awesome yeah. and makes for a great dynamic in the story. Yeah. I didn't like the costume in this, the way that they the updated costume. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. I don't love it, but I, I think they're allowed to update it. Yeah. Um, I think the face mask is cool, but I think it... It, it adds, um, it makes him more like Cobra Commander in that you can't see his face and you want to see oh, Serpentor's yeah. face. I feel like I feel like the rules of Serpentor is that because he's yelling this I command, I feel like you're, we're supposed to always see his face. And Cobra Commander, we're not supposed to see his face. So from a, from a character design perspective, I feel like that black face mask, it's cool looking, but it sort of breaks the rule for the character. Inuenjo! <laughs> Attention, at this moment you are now listening to Talking Innuendo. If you are offended by words like Sucking, Flesh Wound, Willy, Pete, Balls, Crystal Balls, Hypno Shield, whatever, take the tape out now. This is not a pop album. And by the way, suck my grandmother's mother brick in a Prada handbag. 
Innuendo. So, uh, if you're in the right frame of mind, specifically a dirty, juvenile, silly frame of mind, uh, hello, uh, then uh, then G.I. Joe names can sometimes sound a little bit dirty. Uh, so the challenge here is, can I get through a list of five G.I. Joe names without making my co-hosts titter? I'm just going to guess, based on our conversation, I'm just going to guess the first one. I'm going to say this to Jay. <laughs> Serpentor. <laughs> Serpentor. Serpentor. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Okay. Stop, stop laughing. We've got to have a, a, a clean baseline so that I can actually tell when you're laughing at silly right, name right, rather right. than just laughing generally from insanity of uh, a <laughs> couple of hours of yeah. discussion. Yeah. <laughs> just being so dog tired that you Eyes sort of and like, ears ah, bleeding now. The plot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we're going to go. Rapid fire. Eels Bazooka <laughs> What? I almost broke on Rapid I, Fire <laughs> I, I did smile at ra- I did smile at Rapid Fire I did How too. is it that Bazooka did it? Crikey Again, bazooka I gotta keep it clean I'm not th- saying anything I, th- I, th- I think I primed the pump with Serpentor <laughs> <laughs> Prime the pump, good lord this sort of thing's not think, my think, bag, baby. I think Jay's a little punch drunk from, <laughs> from the episode. Lack of sleep. Yeah. Oh dear. Probably. Um, yeah, I was. I was trying to. I was. I was building up to a, a really good number five as well there. So um, we'll have to resume. Keep that, that one in the box for next time, I guess. Yeah. Keep the powder dry on that one. <laughs> Okie dokie. So um, I think that's us all. Uh, done uh, next time on talking to joe disavowed uh, we won't be moving straight on to the next issue which would be issue 26 we will be circling back and covering some of the other fine content from the devil's due folks um so we will be having frontline uh, to to cover the, the opening arc there from a returning uh, legend larry hammer but before then, um, to cover off the Josh Blaylock era, I wanted to dip our toes into G.I. Joe versus Transformers and cover off the first miniseries written by uh, the man himself. Sound good to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that one before so, either, so that's cool. It's, it's a, it's a six-issue arc, so... Either we'll have to break it into two episodes, or you guys will have to interrupt me <laughs> every time I start talking and go on for more than like one minute yeah. so that we can move on to what you have to say and then another topic. Because I know I'll have... We'll allow you two things to talk about. What'd you say? We, <laughs> we need an egg timer for when we start talking, or almost like the chess game with the timer. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least, yeah, not... Yeah, dis- disavow you from talking about uh, <laughs> uh, colors and uh, and the shape of the letter I as it appears on the page. No, um, my my graph. Surely my graphic designer friends are grateful when I bring up those. <laughs> surely all two, all all two of them. One thing I, I would like to do in, in particular when we are covering the uh, the frontline issues, and I'm sure that we will, but I just want to say it now so I don't forget about it is kind of maybe say like these came out the same time that these other issues of the main series were being uh-huh. published okay. or, or, you know, yeah, give, yeah. give the okay. uh, listeners 
some co- that context some context yeah of, of what what else was was coming out or where the where the main series was because you guys mentioned the chuckles arc earlier and i wanted to ask if that was something that had been published before he died in number 25 or whether that you know what what the yeah chron- it came out before was. it came out beforehand it was um i want to i want to say like you know early teens or something like that okay. so so in in this uh, oh okay yeah. time time so frontline issue 18 i think coincided with a around about the, the end of it was around about the same issue as 25 and was so so i think it was, was just chuckles a, in the last a few months before that? Yeah, so I think a, a, I think it was a few months. Chuckles arc would have been a few months before uh, the start of issue twenty two, so it would have been relatively fresh. I think they tried to publish. It. They did something weird with it, like publishing it biweekly or weekly hmm. or something like that when it came out. And uh, uh, this this six issue GI Joe versus the Transformers Volume One miniseries um, is published roughly at the same time as. Blaylock's final arc. Yeah, uh, it looks because the issue twenty-five of GI Joe, Blaylock's final issue, um, has an ad for the final issue of GI Joe exactly. versus Transformers coming like the next month. And then we're also got our regular show uh, where we're covering the a real American hero issues from IDW as they come out, and we're continuing to cover the exciting new arc, Murder by Assassination. Um, so where can people find you guys, Tim? Instagram, a real American book, Facebook, a real American book and a real American book.com. And I can think I can find Jay being dragged out in some sort of, uh, (laughs) in some sort of restraining device into the back of a white van cackling as he's being led away. Um, probably but if, you, if you're not able to capture that in real time where else can people find you jay uh break room sketches on facebook easy easy peasy you can find us in all of the usual places talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has all of those places the link to facebook twitter instagram contact us and also patreon a big thanks to all of our backers richard sam jay bill christopher and justin who are getting access to episodes early as well as the occasional piece of exclusive content so that's a long one but when all is said and done you can catch us down the road because we've been talking joe and we're all out of joes laters would have should have expected it to be long and <laughs> it was but you know what i i think the i think the way to promote this is that just as issue 25 is oversized <laughs> with extra pages <laughs> oversized uh, we sh- we we should have we should have called this out um uh they didn't raise the cover price uh the episode is <laughs> Ours oversized cost the same with too, extra yeah. Yeah, we haven't um, raised our cover price yet. <laughs> the, the, our, our episode is oversized with extra minutes. <laughs> <laughs>